Hello and welcome to Beyond Boundaries. My name is Justin Douglas. So pumped to have you with me today on this episode of Beyond Boundaries. If you want to learn more about me or find the show notes for this episode, you can go to pastorjustindouglas.com. You can interact there with feedback, comments, and questions, or you can reach out to me via Instagram. I'm at Pastor Justin Douglas. Also, please consider subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast. It really does make a difference. On this episode of Beyond Boundaries, I sit down with Jared Myers, and we talk through his story. It is a pretty intense and incredible story. Jared is a coach at CrossFit Gamma, where I personally go for CrossFit, so I've got to know him over the last few years. He has also started his own personal training and nutrition coaching business, New Life Hershey LLC. One of the values of this podcast is that we get beyond boundaries with people where they are vulnerable and honest about their story. Jared does that in this conversation, and one of the things that I'm committed to is not censoring anyone who joins me on this podcast. If they're willing to go beyond boundaries, if they're willing to be vulnerable, then I'm not going to censor anything they say. With that said, you might have noticed that this is the first episode with an explicit rating. I just wanted to share that with you as some of you might listen along with your kiddos in the minivan while you're running errands. Uh, Maybe this is one for the headphones or maybe not. I'll leave that up to you, but I just wanted to make you aware of that. Ultimately, this is a heartbreaking, inspiring, and necessary story. I'm so thankful Jared took some time to share his experience with us. So here it is, my conversation with Jared Myers. Jared, what's up, man? How you doing? Pretty good. How are you, brother? I'm <laughs> doing well. I'm excited for this. Uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Give them just like a brief overview of who you are, what you're about, what you're doing. Brief overview or like my whole history? Uh, let's start with just where you are right now. So I <laughs> and am, then we'll do uh, your whole history. Cause I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to your whole history, man, because I feel like I've, I've had conversations with you where it's been like a couple minutes of your history, and it's very interesting. And I love that we're going to sit down and chat about it for... An extended period of time. So yeah, I mean, but, we actually don't know anything about each other. Yeah, that it, we 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 don't know a whole lot about each other. This is <laughs> yeah. this is gonna be good. But like, why don't you tell people like where you are today, like who you are, what you're about, if they yeah. want to meet you and just kind of see you and get to know you a little bit. Yeah, so I'm a I'm a personal trainer by trade. I started at the beginning of last year my own business. Um, I've been doing personal training all year. Uh, I'm an athlete and a coach at CrossFit Gamma. That's kind of my main hub. And I do some in-home training and stuff too. So as far as a career, I'm a personal trainer. My hobby is an athlete, and I pretty much just do fitness all the time now. (laughs) True, true. And you're married to Cher? I have a lovely wife and a dog. My wife is Sherilyn, and my dog is Scooter. So that's my family. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So I don't even know where to start with your story, but I'm looking forward to kind of diving in. Were you born around here? So I was, yep. I grew up in Palmyra. I was born in Lebanon, but I grew up my whole life in Palmyra. I went to Palmyra School District. Pretty standard childhood. I mean, I had my parents are still together. I grew up in a loving household. Um, pretty standard stuff. We, I mean, I, I feel like that's actually abnormal nowadays, but yeah. I, I don't know where my story went off the tracks. So I played baseball growing up, but I wasn't really an athlete. Uh, I tried all the sports. I got cut from basketball in seventh grade. So I wasn't always athletic. I wasn't always mm-hmm. skilled like in that area. I, I, I mean, I, I would say I was skilled, but I wasn't dedicated. Mm-hmm. I didn't have it. I didn't practice. I didn't, you know, have any drive. Um, I played piano. I took piano lessons. I picked up guitar at like 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't latch on to anything. I didn't have a drive. I didn't have a desire. I didn't have passion. 
until much later in life. So looking back, I can see that was the problem. But in the moment, it was very um, stressful. And, you know, growing up, I was like, oh, well, I'm just depressed or I'm broken or, you know, whatever those feelings of insecurities are. Yeah. Um, I attribute it now to not having passion and, and a focus in my life. My parents tried. I mean, they you know, got me in sports and they got me in music and they, we went to church and I played in the church band and I I did all the things that should spark passion and desire. And I just didn't connect. So, um, about, I was 16. My parents were foster parents also. So they adopted a sister when I was five. Um, we're actually the same age. Um, so she, she was my sister growing up. We had foster siblings, um, people coming in and out of the house. My parents were just loving people. They just wanted to help. That's awesome. And I think, you know, I get some of that from them. Um, so when I was 16, they fostered my cousins who were in a, a pretty bad situation. They were getting kicked out of a, a trailer home, I believe, because it was in, uninhabitable. Uh, so my parents adopted them and brought mm. them on board. And I remember sitting down with them and they're like, this is going to be difficult. Are you strong enough to bring them up and, and help them? Like they sat us down and like, mm-hmm. you know, they have lived a rough, you know, a couple of years here. Are you, you know, you, you're going to have to inspire them and be strong to help wow. them. So how old were you at this time? I was like 15 or 16. Okay. Yeah. How old were they? My cousin, my uh, cousin Travis was 15, and my cousin Katie was 14 or 13. Okay. So she's two years younger, and he's one year younger. So they're all right around high school age-ish, high school Yeah, so we're all like high school. I think I was a sophomore, junior, maybe in between. Katie was a freshman. Travis was sophomore. I was a junior. So we were all like right in that age Mm, range. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Um, So they, they moved in, and... You know, they were quiet and reserved, and Katie really latched on to my mom, but Travis didn't. Um, about three or four months after they moved in, I got my wisdom teeth out and took my whole prescription of Vicodin in like two days. I was like, this is fun. This feels mm. good. I like how I feel when I take this. Wow. So I was like joking with my cousin about it, and he's like, oh, you like that? And then he pulled out a whole, or he handed me one half of an Oxy, a little blue pill, and he's like, here, take this. And I took it, and I was like, wow, this is even better. I feel great. Mm. And I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know how wrong it was going to be. I sure. mean, I was just young and having fun. He um, had a whole bag of like 100 of them. He had like 100 oh, wow. oxys on him. And I didn't know what I was looking at. I was like, oh, it's just some pills. But in hindsight, like that's like... worth of pills, 100 pills at $20 a piece, like that street value is like an expensive bit of property there at 15 years old. And I didn't even know what I was getting into. Like he was getting them for free, you know, from his mom. And I didn't know that that was the situation until two, three weeks later till I was addicted and I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I knew it was wrong. Like I always say, like I knew what I was doing was wrong, Yeah. but I liked the feeling more than I cared yeah. that it was wrong. So mm. my values just were in having fun and feeling good and feeling a part of something. And, and I felt a part of that. We developed a really strong friendship. We did a lot of things together. I got my driver's license. We were, you know, 
driving around at 16, just, just taking pills and just wow. running amok. Had so, you done any drugs before that? No, that was the first time. It was the first time. Yeah. So, wow. I, I know a student who had back surgery, uh, 14 or 15 years old, had back surgery, got prescribed pain medication, has been addicted to drugs ever since. Yeah. And we're talking like in his mid-20s now. Yeah. Like, and it's just so sad like to see like how that... Oh, yeah. How that can be such a gateway to like, I mean, I'm glad it seems like there's a lot more happening in that community now to kind of monitor, you know, I think how it's those better. are, how the, yeah. it's better probably, it's but, better, it's, but it's sad to see how, how accessible it was and yeah. how so much of that. So, so you guys are 16 driving around, you got your license. Yeah. And I mean, he's been doing this for his whole life. Right. Mm. So he... We start stealing stuff like very quickly, you know. To stealing. pay for it is that why is the no, motivation? No, like to do all that the drugs just... were free. We just stole shit for fun. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. So we, I mean, it it was the thrill. I mean, we were just thrill seeking. We were driving fast and smoking cigarettes that we stole, you know, or cigars that we mm-hmm. stole. Like we stole everything that we could. We were buying alcohol from people and. Um, drinking before class and taking oxys in class and it it just progressed super fast and I knew I felt like crap when I didn't have them Mm. but I didn't think I was addicted by any means for the first I don't know six eight months I didn't Mm. know what addiction was really and then I was like deep in it and I was like man this I'm sick like I'm actually I actually need this drug now instead of oh it's just fun so I would say timelines are tough. I mean, it, it's kind of foggy. I nail it down better in my book because I actually like sat down and went through year by year and what, what I did each year. But um, the next, I would say the next year, I was a senior. He was a sophomore. I mean, we did the same thing all summer. And then the next year, senior year, I started doing heroin because the pills weren't as plentiful because we needed more of them. Mm. It wasn't a long time in between. I would, you know, within six months of starting doing oxys, I was doing heroin um, and not with my cousin. Now I've went and found it on my own. Wow. He was very, you know, against that. He had, you know, more access. He, you know, he didn't want to do heroin. I just fell in with that crowd because I had the oxys so that occasionally I would give them some. I mean, you just you just connect with people who are doing the same thing. You just yeah. gravitate towards them. So at some point, um, I started doing heroin, and then that became an expensive habit. So then I had to steal things to support my habit and steal money to support my habit from family, from friends, and... Some of, you know, my biggest regrets come from that time period of my life just because some of those people aren't around anymore and I, I did them wrong. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a, that was a hard, you know, forgiveness for me it yeah. was that time in my life when I was stealing from family and friends and I didn't care about the consequences. I only cared about the high. Yeah. Yeah. When I talk to people in addiction uh, in or in recovery, especially like who have had a season in addiction, they, they, they say how, how selfish they were kind of, and how they just had blinders on as if their addiction was the only thing worth feeding. Like, you know what I mean? Not the relationships in their life, but just that. And like, and once they come out of that and have perspective looking back, they're like, I can't even, 
I can't even reconcile how I would ever do that. But yeah. when you're in that space, it just seems so so selfish. Like over. you said, I mean, it's completely about yourself. I, at that point in my life, I didn't care about other people's feelings at all, and mm-hmm. it's hard to to vocalize what that feels like. Um, I, I felt a void inside of me, right? I felt mm-hmm. that I, when I was on drugs, I was a, a whole person. Like I genuinely thought that part of me was missing biologically and, and painkillers filled that void. Like I felt wow. like it connected with me that much mm-hmm. that I was a, my whole self when I was on them. Mm-hmm. And how crazy, I mean, yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Like that, that mentality takes over and then it's taking care of yourself, trying to fill that void of who am I? What am I? Oh, when I'm on drugs, I'm a happy, you know, positive, popular. I can talk to girls. I can do whatever. And it was fun. And that's what I wanted at that point in my life. Wow. Looking back, it, you know, it, it takes hard work to be a good upstanding citizen. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of the part that I didn't understand. I didn't understand that I had to work on myself and that I had to address my flaws and that I had to be okay and, and celebrate my flaws because that's who I am. Yeah. Rather than cover them up. Yeah. So you go from pills to heroin within a year, even less than a year. Um, and now you're even more isolated because you're not necessarily doing it with a family member. You're doing yeah. it with people who are probably have your have even less of your interests in mind would be my guess. Does that make sense? Like, Yeah, they were you, just using me to get money because yeah. if you buy more, you get a better deal if you buy $300 worth rather than you know $50 worth. So yeah. they needed a ride. I had a vehicle because you know my, I was living with my parents who were pretty well off and the people who I was running around with weren't that well off. Mm-hmm. So I had a vehicle and we would drive to Lancaster every day, almost every day, and buy $100 worth of heroin almost every day. Man. Wow. Somebody would come up with the money. Somebody would come up with gas money. I'd put $5 in my tank, and we'd drive to Lancaster 90 miles an hour to get heroin. Like, mm. Then we'd get high and drive 40 miles an hour back. Like, <laughs> just That was the daily. Like, It's just wow. ludicrous. How, did your parents confront you in this time at all? Like, like Were they suspicious that yeah, Jared's changing? Because, yeah. I mean, I, I would assume this would be hard to hide from yeah. them as, yeah, as I deep mean, in they, as you were. I convinced them that it was depression or mm. anxiety. I mean, I always had another excuse. At one, at one point, I told them I was bipolar, I think. Mm. It was always, it, you know, it was always a story. It was always, oh, I have to go here with this person. And I was just never home. Yeah. Right. And I was sick or I had a headache or I was just depressed. So I went and saw a bunch of therapists. Mm. And I forget at which point, like, it actually came out that they knew and I had to tell them. It was probably about a year. Um, I went to rehab after high, after senior year. I think between senior year and college, I'd have to, <laughs> I'd have to actually look back. It, no, that's fine. It's kind of fuzzy, but one of the summers that, um, I think it was the year after my freshman year of college, I went to my first rehab. So that's about a year and a half of usage. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, I mean, it was pretty much straight through something, but it wasn't always heroin. So I would do heroin for a period of time. And then I would go back to pills because the pills would be around. And I didn't want to do heroin. Like I knew that mm-hmm. that wasn't the greatest idea, but I would kind of be off and on of stuff for a, a long time. And then I went to college. Um, I stopped doing heroin altogether, but I just did everything else. I started smoking weed. 
I started drinking more. I started doing party drugs and yeah. tripping on mushrooms and acid. And like, it was more of the community of it at that point, the, the friendship and the adventure and the thrill seeking, mm-hmm. not as much of the self, because I finally had somewhere to fit in. I finally yeah. found a crowd that had the same values as me. I just took it to the extreme and used everything mm-hmm. like a, like a drug. Like I just used every, every possible substance like heroin, basically. I would drink until I was blacked out or I'd smoke until I couldn't think straight mm-hmm. or I'd take a bunch of pills just because, just to cover up that feeling. Yeah. I was running away from something, myself, you know, my feelings, life. I was getting through school because I had natural, you know, intelligence, I guess, test-taking ability, basically. I was yeah. applying myself in college. Um, but I had finally found a community that was accepting of, you know, that type of lifestyle. Now, they knew that I was an addict because they saw I was, you know, stealing weed from people. And I was always calling and trying to get fronted. And I was always, you know, f- trying you know, one way or another just to catch that feeling again and, and mm-hmm. catch that high. So that last, I mean, I'm. I meandered through my first couple of years, but after my first year of college, I came home and I started doing heroin almost instantly again for that summer. Mm. And that's when it really became apparent. Uh, my, my parents knew something was up at that point. Um, I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't, I think I was always had a job, but I, w- I never had money because I spent it all on drugs and, and things started going missing because I was selling stuff. I started selling guitars and, it would just became more apparent. Like you said, you can't yeah. hide it at that point. Yeah. And as I finally admitted it, you know, and I went to rehab that summer and that lasted for like four or five days. The, my first rehab was like mm. four or five days. It was supposed to be a, a, a 30 or 60 day program. And I think I made it five days. I, you know, day two, I just like left. I walked out into the woods and just went for a walk. And then I came back and I went, they put me on restriction, walking mm. restriction. I wasn't allowed to walk anywhere. So then at like day four or five, I left again. And this was all because of a girl. I had met a girl that summer. I was in love with her. Of course, I was doing drugs. She knew I was doing drugs. Mm. And I thought I could win her over by going and getting sober. Right. Okay. I mean, it was. So the motivation was her. The motivation yeah. that sent you into rehab was more for The her. first time, yeah. yeah. I mean, I. That's all I wanted. She played guitar and she was popular and she could sing and mm. we had a connection and then she found out I was doing drugs and I was like, oh, but I'll get better. I mean, you know, the whole, yeah. <laughs> it's just a typical yeah. story. Yeah. So I wanted, I was all better. Five days in, I was like, I got this. Like, I'm not high anymore. Like, I've been sober for five days and I can go home now, right? Because yeah. she's going to leave for college. I'm never going to see her again. Mm-hmm. I need to woo her off or whatever. I don't yeah. know. I thought. Sure. She didn't talk to me when I got home mm. because I was still on drugs. Yeah. Like she, they knew my mom knew. Um, so I ran off back to school. I was like, well, at school I don't do heroin. So, you know, that was my excuse that time. And so back to school, still smoking weed, still doing, I mean, that was pretty much my whole college experience the first time mm. doing those type of drugs at college and then coming home, doing heroin, going to rehab. I went to three or four rehabs. Over the course of four or five years, I mean, it was mm-hmm. off and on and off and on. And I just, you know, 
hmm. stole, schemed, lied my way to get more drugs all the time. Wow. Yeah. Did you graduate college or did you not end up the having first drop time. out? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I had to go back and finish it. I was a biology major. I loved science. I thought I was going to work in a hospital or you know something mm-hmm. cure diseases, and I really loved biology. I love I, I loved it. Um, I still I'm still intrigued by it. But I was four years in. Uh, I was technically still a junior, so I wasn't going to graduate in four or maybe even five years. I failed some classes. I could have graduated in five years, but my head wasn't on straight. I I withdrew in my, I would say it was my first semester of my fourth year, which is supposed to be my senior year. Um, It was just falling apart. I was just doing more and more. Mm. I had stayed up at school this, that summer and worked at Wendy's for the whole summer. So I tried to stay away from the heroin Mm. and it just didn't get better. I just smoked more weed. I just didn't do anything positive. I was just still kind of doing party drugs on the weekends and drinking all the time. Um, my buddy had a prescription to Adderall and I would go steal his old prescription and take it in like for like, I was a mess. I was an absolute like disaster of a friend. I would steal shit from my roommate. He was trying, I mean, it was just one thing after another. Um, so that, that fourth year, it fell apart. I was failing classes and people were starting to you know, talk about me negatively because it was becoming apparent that I was not a good person. My friends were starting to shun me Mm -hmm. and that, that hurt a lot. I mean, there were some things said and things that I heard. uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't live the lie. I couldn't, you Mm -hmm. know, keep up that persona of the cool kid who was doing drugs and, you know, doing college at the same time. I couldn't be the the smart hippie. Like that was like who I wanted to be. That's who yeah. I thought I was. Yeah. And um I called my mom. I was like, look, I'm I'm gonna withdraw. And she's like, well, you know, try to talk me out of it. But eventually I just went and saw the dean and and I was like, look, I'm gonna withdraw. And that was, you know, one of the hardest days of my life because I knew what was coming. I knew it was gonna get worse before it got better. Mm. I knew that when I went home what I was going to find. And it was scary. What do you mean by that? You knew when you went home, you were going to go back to heroin? Yeah. Yeah. Was that just because your connections at home, maybe the friends who didn't go to college were there and and that was going to be the first place you found community? Is that kind of what Yeah. No, definitely like partially the people, but mostly because I, I had failed. Like I, Mm. I, I, I had given up. I didn't achieve anything. I was like tucking my tail and running home. Mm. So now I had zero self-esteem back in the same town where I knew what I was getting into. Which pushes you further into your addiction because you have less self-worth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that was like one of the hardest points in my life. Um, Sorry, I'm going to put my jacket on. No, you're fine. It's kind of cold in here. (laughs) But ultimately, I mean, I went, went home and I started working again. But... It never got better, right? I mean, I, I was in therapy. I was, think I was talking to someone, but I was just lying to them, and I was just lying to myself, and it was just a matter of time. I was working two jobs and getting drunk all the time. I was going to work high, and it just wasn't going to work out. And eventually I was like, look, Ma, I need to go to rehab again, and they sent me to Reading. So that was my last rehab. I went to Reading 30 days um, and then I went to a halfway house. So this time it was going to be different. I was going to stay in a different area. I was going to rehab, you know, halfway house where I was accountable. 
I was going to get drug tested for the next six months. Like, mm-hmm. I, I honestly thought I was going to do it the right way. And that lasted about three days until I met a girl in the recovery house. So it was like a big 120-room recovery house, separated men on the right, women on the left. It was like a big dorm, right? Yeah. It was just like being a dorm. Everyone had their separate room. And it was a wonderful place that's helped a lot of people. But I just wasn't ready. It was 30 days sober, and I met this hot girl, and mm-hmm. she was she was doing Suboxone, which is a detox drug. Do you know anything about it? No. Tell me about it. Suboxone's like, it's an opioid blocker. So if you're on heroin and, and you take you take Suboxone to, to get off of it, you won't get high on the heroin anymore. Mm. And if you're doing that many opiates, you're not going to f- get high on the Suboxone either. It just is like a maintenance drug. Okay. And then you're supposed to taper off of it. Well, if you're sober and you take it, it's going to it's gonna mess you up, mm. right? Because it, it still has those properties, but if you're addicted, you don't feel that. All it does is block all of the receptors gotcha. and you can't use heroin anymore. It's kind of like the alcohol block. There's a, they have an alcohol blocker too. It's like okay. that. But as a sober guy, like it's going to mess you up and you're going to be high for like 12 hours because it's a really long lasting drug. But anyway, so sh- I thought you can't test for it. It's not easily tested for like heroin. Mm-hmm. It's a more expensive test. So this is what people do in recovery or when they're on parole or they'll do these type of drugs because they're not as testable. So, yeah, of course, I wanted to hang out with this girl. And you're allowed to have a girlfriend, but not a girlfriend from the program. Like, yeah. not a girlfriend that's living in the same recovery sure. house. So we were sneaking around. We would sneak off in the woods and, you know, we would go to, we went to meetings together. Like, we thought we were getting sober, but we didn't know. Mm. And um, about two, three weeks, maybe not even, Somebody saw us kissing outside of a meeting, and they kicked us both out. So now I'm about 37 days sober, and in Reading, which is a yeah. pretty heavy drug area, mm-hmm. she's from Reading. This is where she's been using her whole life. So oh, her wow. and I get high the first night. We're like, screw it. If if you know they're going to kick us out and not let us get sober, then we're just going to go on a run. So her and I started doing heroin in Reading. She had, you know, the system down. She knew we started stealing stuff from Walmart and returning it and selling gift cards to this guy she knew who would buy them from us. And we would steal from Lowe's and Home Depot and all the stores and just sell the gift cards to this guy who ran a restaurant. He would use them and he'd pay us for them. Mm. We went and got food stamps and we would sell the food stamps to this other guy who ran a restaurant. Right. And we'd get cash for him and then we'd just go buy drugs. Oh, we would, man. you know, do stuff for dealers. We would steal shit that dealers wanted and then give it to them and they'd give us drugs. Like, it, we just found a way. She had a lot of every connections day to get high. Area, yeah, yeah. She, had, she knew all the dealers already. She oh, knew wow. all the people. She could get shit fronted to her because she's been doing it a while. She's a pretty mm. girl. Like, it, it's just, it was a great situation. <laughs> for an addict, yeah. <laughs> really great. Really yeah. great. So, I mean, yeah, the couple months that that lasted, we lived in a motel um, for three weeks, and we just existed. We just did heroin. We didn't eat too much. We stole everything we needed, and we just mm-hmm. went on a run together. And, and we thought we would get sober eventually, but I knew that we weren't getting sober in that situation. Yeah. No, we didn't want to get sober. So about... How old are you at this time? Like 22, mm, 23? 22, 22. Yeah. 22. 
So then from there, uh, we got a house. We actually did get a little loft apartment, room in a house. I got a job at a paper factory, which made junk mail. And I was still just getting high. I got a couple paychecks there before, you know, that money ran out. And then I woke up one day and both the tires on my car were flat. Mm. So this is, uh, I don't know, two months into our relationship maybe. And we needed, you know, about 500 bucks to get tires for my car, drugs for the day, and get to work and keep moving on this train. Probably had some bills to pay or something. So like 500 was our number and we couldn't easily steal that much stuff. So we're Mm -hmm. like, well... I looked at her, and she's like, well, I'm just going to go rob the bodega. And I was like, you're not going to go rob the bodega. You're going to get shot. Like, the bodega is like the corner store, like, mm-hmm. in the hood. Like, you don't go to that store, like, expecting to rob them for sure, money. Sure, They're going to shoot you. She's like, well, your tires are flat. And I was like, well, I can probably pump one of them up and put a donut on. And I had nodded off and curbed my car the night before. It, I, I didn't really remember it, but I remember changing the tire, and it— it just was a mess. So I was like, well, let's just try and drive it. Even if it's on flats, like we'll just drive it and fix it later. So we go out with the intention to rob a store. And had you ever done that before? No, you, this was the first you had, time. You hadn't done hadn't anything done any on any this robberies. level. Yeah, yeah, it was more like just a thief. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, um, stealing from stores and, and people, individuals. So... We got a BB gun from Walmart. We stole a BB gun from Walmart and a hat, and then we went driving looking for a store. The first couple stores were too busy, or they had cashiers that were strong looking. Mm. It took a while till we found like an empty Turkey Hill with like a little kid working the register. Mm. Um, and I went in and got a drink. I got a lemonade, and I put a dollar on the table, and I said, "Hey, give me all the money." And I showed him the gun. And he freaked out and threw his hands up. And I was like, put your hands down. And he was like in shock. And he uh, put his hands down. I was like, open the register. And he's like, I can't open the register. I was like, use this dollar to open the register. So he punched a couple buttons. And then he put his hands up again. And I was like, put your hands down. Because there were people at the pumps. Mm-hmm. I was like, put your hands down. Put the money on the table. Like, just like had to walk him through the whole thing. And I, I grabbed a wad of money and I left. And then we drove away, and we're like, sweet, we did it. Like, let's go do it again. And she's like, I I know this other store. So we drove, and I got lost in the woods because I wasn't from this part of town. She wasn't from this part of town. And then, Mm. I don't know, five or ten minutes go by, and I'm like, I don't know where we are. So we're lost in the woods, and she's like, oh, I know this road. Make a left. So I make a left, and I'm driving. I'm like, this looks familiar. Is this the road we were just on with the Turkey Hill? And she's like, uh, yeah, I think so, but it'll be okay. Just keep driving. So, like, as soon as I said that, I saw the Turkey Hill coming up, and I was like, oh, shit. Like, there's a boatload of cop cars. Yeah. All flashing lights. It's all lit up. Like, I just kept driving because that's what she said to do. Like, yeah. I just, like, put all my faith in this girl. Like, yeah. I loved her. Like, she was crazy. She was wild. She was fun. Yeah, she was an addict, and she wasn't happy, and I didn't know what happiness was, mm. but I was in love with her. Like, we we had a, a serious connection doing that stuff. So I just kept driving. She's like, it'll be okay. I was like, it'll be okay. I just kept driving. We got, like, two yards past the Turkey Hill, and there were lights behind us. Pulled us out of the car, cuffed us. They were looking for the money. Um, 
and it it was scary as shit. I thought, I mean, I knew I was going to jail. Like, I just, I just knew it. Yeah, pretty sobering at that moment, yeah. I assume, right? Yeah, and I'm writing about it in my book. Uh, I'm about three quarters of the way through my story in my book. Oh, wow. So definitely more detail in there. Um, and I'll keep you posted on that. But yeah. it was it was surreal. Like, I, I knew that this was coming, either jail or death. Like, I was going to die or I was going to go to jail. Like, I, rehab wasn't working. I didn't want it to work. It took me about a year in prison until I decided, like, I thought they, I could stay sober if they let me go. Huh. Like, a year went by, and then one day I was like, you know, if they let me go, I might stay sober. Wow. It wasn't quick. It wasn't like, oh, I'll be good now because I was in jail. Like, it took me a year to, like, set my mind on a path that was righteous. Yeah. Have you Had you had any run-ins with the law before that? Because I'm assuming using drugs and all these ways yeah. and stuff, you'd maybe had some run-ins yeah. with, like, getting... A bunch. I mean, I I wrote about them all in my book. I, oh, okay. I don't want like some Nothing, of them. But some this, of them are this was the most amusing. severe for sure yeah, because yeah, it I mean, was I armed had, robbery, right? I mean, yeah. would that be the would that be what you got charged with? Something like that, or I got um, robbery with threat of immediate bodily injury. Oh, okay. Because I didn't use a firearm. I used a BB gun, mm. um, and it was my first offense, so they took it easy on me. So wow. I got two to two to four. My actual sentence was 20 to 48 months plus four years or three years of special probation. So it was like a two to seven kind of okay. the way it worked out. I got out in 20 months. But I mean, yeah, I had a bunch of run-ins and some of them are, I think, fairly amusing. Um, I was an idiot. Like I almost got caught so many times. Yeah. I just talked my way out of it or we just got lucky or the cop just let us go. Like there were so many times. Sure, because um, driving built being up. Yeah. driving being higher drunk probably and parked those types of things, and parked right? in corners like using drugs like yeah we got yeah we we were one time I was in a truck with two of my friends just to tell a quick story and I had the needle in the girl's arm next to me and the cop pulled up with his lights on we were in an abandoned cul-de-sac there was nothing around we were just parked there getting high. And I had the needle in her arm, and I looked at her. I was like, you want it? And she's like, yeah. So I, like, shot her up, and we hid everything and talked our way out of it. Like, we were eyes bloodshot, like, looked like we were high as a kite, pinholes for pupils. Mm. She was holding a little wiener dog, and this cop comes up, and he's like, look, what's going on? Mm. And I was, I was, like, fumbling. I was like, oh, we're just sitting here talking. We're just talking. He's like, all right, well, I'm calling a female agent because we're going to pat you all down and search you. We're going to search the truck. We need to know what's going on. So we're shaking in our boots. We're freaking out. Mm -hmm. This female officer pulls me out of the car, and she's like, what's going on over here? I was like, we, um, on the spot, I like didn't know what I was going to say. I was like, we came down here because she wanted to tell us that she was having an abortion. <laughs> I was like... Man. Holy shit, how did I think of that? That was yeah. the best story ever. Yeah. So she wow. like looks at me, she like almost gets teary-eyed and she's like, I know how it is. Oh man. I was like, that's the best fucking lie I ever told in my life. Wow. So she goes, tells the other cop, that cop comes over and is like, You guys have a good night. And they're like, What the fuck did you say to her? Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So, so like you had a lot of really like getting as close to the line as you like could I get of getting in trouble. That night. Yeah. yeah, I should have been arrested. Yeah, but it would have wow. been a slap on the wrist. I would have gotten a couple months. I would have got sent to rehab again. Yeah, like it wasn't going to fix anything. But you had never been to jail prior to this. No. So for you, that's got to be a little bit scary because this is going from like 
it's one thing to get the slap on the wrist jail. This is like, this yeah. is really going to interfere with life. Did you feel a little bit of, I, I know some people that I talk to in the recovery community, when they hit rock bottom, it's really scary. Like, does that make sense? Like they're, they're they know they're going to jail or they know yeah. they're in big trouble, right? Like they know this is going to be a game changer, but there's also a certain level of maybe this is good because I think I might, I might've died if I would have kept going down this road and yeah. this might be in some ways a path that might lead to me not getting out of the cycle. Did you feel that way a little bit or how long did it take you to feel that way? Yeah, definitely not instantly. Instantly it was just anger and yeah. um, resentment and that self-reflection took months and and maybe that was that year point when I decided, like, this is positive. That I yeah. can get something out of this. I mean, I I probably had those thoughts, like, a couple months in. I, I, it's kind of tough to pin down when that change happened. But I remember, like, w- one distinct day, I was like, it's been a year. Like, if they let me go, I'll be okay. So mm. that's what I always tell people. Like, you have to get a year removed. Like, if, if you seriously want to make a change, like... That's how long it takes. Like, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's not 30 days out. It's not 60 yeah. days. For me, it was, it was a year, and I. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. Like at that point, I was like, "All right, we can take this. We can keep going. Like, it's no yeah. problem. Let's do it. Let's make something of ourselves." And that's when I started making plans. And that's when I started thinking about what I wanted out of life and what I could actually achieve, rather than sure. just getting by. Like. So you that night you get arrested, you go to jail, then you get sentenced, you go to prison, or you go to yeah yeah. So jail, I mean anything, it takes like three months to get sentenced. Yeah. It's different for everybody. the The justice system is all over the place. If you get a lawyer, if you get bailed out, you can postpone your trial. Yeah, I expediated everything. My parents didn't bail me out. I asked, you know, I begged, I pleaded, bail me out, bail me out. Like I'm gonna be different. They knew what it was hitting for. Yeah, they they were done. They had given me so many chances. Mm-hmm. They knew that this was the best place for me. I mean, that props to them, like making me sit there and feel those feelings. They weren't going to cover it up. They weren't going to, mm. you know, push it over. They weren't going to hire a lawyer for me. I probably could have got out in a year. I mm. probably could have got a six to twelve months with a, a good paid lawyer, but it wouldn't have been enough. Yeah. Like it, it wouldn't have fixed me. I wouldn't have fixed myself. I didn't have enough time. As a parent, that's a hard decision. Oh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine them sitting there thinking like, oh, I could bail him out and get him a lawyer and take it easy on him, but that's so hard. Yeah, I mean this is their five years dealing with my shit too. Like exactly. Yeah. Deal with it yourself. Like at least I was safe. At least I was getting fed and then I had some time to think. Yeah. They might have even felt a sense of like at least we know he's he's in a place where he's not using this uh, you know, like so so you go to County jail first. I mean holding sale, county jail. And then what's that experience like? What's the first week there like for you for for someone who's never been to jail before? What's that like? Like So I um was in the holding cell and the cop came in and he's like he brought uh, Kaylin with, which is a girl I got arrested with, and uh, he's like, "You guys can talk and figure it out. You're both going to jail." Like she had uh, parole violations. I took the rap for the robbery because she had priors, and if she would have got new charges, she would have got real, real time. Mm-hmm. And uh, but she was going back for parole violations. So he's like, "You're both going to jail. Here's a cigarette." He lit our cigarettes and he said, "Just you know, kind of say goodbye." And we're sitting in that holding cell, and this isn't even in jail yet. And she's like, well, I have a razor blade in my pocket. We could just kill ourselves. 
Oh my so gosh. that was like rock bottom for me. Like at that point, I like, and she was serious. She was very. If I had pulled it out, she'd have cut herself. Like she was not fucking around. Oh my god! So I, like at that point, I kind of had this feel like we're handcuffed, but sitting right next to each other. I just that was definitely the point. I was like, this is the worst day of my life. Like, how did I get here with this girl talking? To, like, even contemplating this, like. We know there's a lot of pain ahead. I know there's a lot of pain ahead, but it's not that type of pain. Like, yeah. we're getting through this thing. There's light somewhere. Wow. Somewhere I can feel it. So then we get taken off to county, and and we're, I mean, we make a plan. When he's had us in the room together, she's like, tell him you did all the drugs. Tell him you did a bunch of barbiturates, and you were drinking every day, because then you'll get detox drugs. And if you just tell him you did heroin, you won't get detox drugs. And then we'll go to the medical wing, and I can see you in the medical wing. But then once we're on the regular block, go to the library and put notes in book C27, because then we can communicate back and forth. Oh, and my gosh. So you guys had, like, a whole plan. She, she, she has the plan. four she, times. She's, like, okay. So, oh my gosh, my, my, I was like, just like absorbing all this. I was like, um, okay. I think I remember like, she was like ready for this. Like, cause this was her life. Wow. So we, I go to the medical wing. She got put in a straight jacket cause she played it to the hilt. They put her in a straight jacket and they gave her a bunch of drugs and like took care of her. I mean, she had been there multiple times, and I guess she was getting a little probably out of control or whatever. But uh, I woke up. I don't know if I woke up or came to, or they put me in a medical wing. So it was like a cell by myself, and I just remember kicking the door, just like front kick, full on. I'm withdrawing. I'm you know shivering and shaking and angry and yelling and I'm front kicking the door and I'm just like trying like literally to break this door down because I'm stuck in a cell for the first time in my life mm-hmm. and I can't go anywhere. I just have to sit with my feelings, with my thoughts, no substances and I'm freaking out. Like mm-hmm. so I'm kicking this door as hard as I can. I seriously am trying to break break the cell door down. And this guard comes over it doesn't give two shits. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you in a straight jacket if you don't stop that right now. And I was like, well, that's going to be significantly worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I stopped kicking the door and I stopped, started kicking the wall, I think. But like, it was not a fun... I mean, those first three, four days on the medical wing was not pleasant. I mean, I was crying. I was curled up in the fetal. I was not sleeping. I was... My... I was pooping and throwing up and it just it just was like the the worst combination of all the feelings I could have ever mm. felt but had it, you had that experience before when you yeah, went to I rehab mean, in the past but just not as bad or was it as yeah been? at rehab they give you detox drugs so they yeah. kind of wean you off of it and there's like it's a different protocols process. and gotcha. it's, it's a little softer it's way softer. I mean, you can walk and you can smoke cigarettes and you can yeah. chew tobacco and they give you muscle relaxers and they give you sleeping pills and like, mm. it's not the same. Yeah. You need to feel that shit. Like, yeah. lock them in a room. That's the only thing that's going to fix me. Mm. So, three days. And then like county jail is um, the first three months. So I, I got sentenced after like two months Till I pled guilty, I went to court, I stood in court and I said, look, judge, like I was a very awful person. I feel terrible for my, you know, I was honest. I was like, look, I didn't know what I was doing. I've been addicted for seven years. I think a year would be good for me. The 
the prosecutors were gunning for five to ten because of the gun. My public defender was shooting for two to four, and I stood up there and I was like, look, judge, like a year to two years would be good for me, like a one to two. I told him. I was like, I want a one to two. <laughs> he kind of like smiled. Because like no one else stood up and said anything. Everyone like because you have a chance to speak your mm-hmm. word, and mm-hmm. like everyone else was like no, and they like took their sentence. No, they took their sentence. And I, he's like, Mr. Myers, do you have anything to say? I was like, yeah. And I like gave him like my two bits, and I was like, I am a drug addict. Like I need a year or two, like a one to two, to think about my thought, my, think about my actions. And he's like, I'll give you twenty to forty eight months. So I feel like he cut me four months off the top. Yeah, because it's a very odd sentence. Twenty yeah. to forty-eight months. Normally, sentences are twelve to twenty-four or twenty-four to forty-eight. They're very round numbers. Mm-hmm. Six to twelve months. Yeah. So I feel like he cut me a break. Plus three years special probation. So I spent the first three months in county, and anything over a one to two goes upstate. Mm. So that's you know an experience all in itself. I was going to say that's got to be a. Yeah, so now Whole we're talking scenario. state prison versus county jail. So you're in county jail for three months, and yeah. then you head up to state? So then I started getting transferred upstate. And the, to get transferred upstate, I was in Redding, so I was on the eastern part of the state. So I got transferred through Greaterford, which is a, a holding jail. I mean, it, it is a, a, a state-run facility, but... Not everybody can get classified too quickly. Okay. So everybody has to go through Camp Hill. Anybody who's going upstate goes to Camp Hill. They get classified. They get sorted. They get tested. They get sent to their home jail. So it's gotcha. kind of a process to get to your sure. home jail. Camp so Hill is closer to home, too. So, so yeah, I went to Greaterford for wow. three weeks, four weeks. I went to Camp Hill for three or four weeks. And then I got sent to... Um, Houtsdale, which was my home jail. Where's that? Is that Houtsdale's up like a uh, half hour, hour from Penn State. Oh, okay. So okay. it's not too far from here. Luckily, it was like an hour, I think two hour drive, hour and a half for my parents mm. to come see me once a month. Wow. Yeah. So that process was interesting. Um, upstate, you actually have more freedom than in county. The food's actually better. I mean, because people are doing years, they're doing life. Yeah. Right? So it's a little bit more relaxed than county county's very strict uh you have less time out of your cell the food is terrible you have less options on commissary you Mm. can't smoke upstate you can smoke cigarettes and chew tobacco and Mm. you can buy coffee and like it's you can buy tvs which Mm. you can't get in county so it's definitely more accommodating Mm -hmm. but you do much longer sentences so and you're also with criminals you're with who are you're now interacting with criminals who are like more serious more serious yeah. D- did you so so as you come in like i mean obviously you see all the movies and stuff where you come in and there's gangs and there's tribes or cliques or whatever you want to say in in within the prison system are you finding yourself you know falling into that figuring trying to establish where you're going to be, or did you just find that it was pretty easy to integrate into that? I'm just curious yeah. from your perspective how it that It is went. interesting. It's a whole nother microcosm. It's a whole nother economy. In county, everyone is kind of a big shot because everyone's still kind of getting out mm-hmm. quickly or in six months or yeah. 10 months, or I'm looking at, 
you know, one to two. Yeah. Whereas when you go upstate, short sentences are two to four. Most people are doing a five to ten. So, yeah, in county, everyone's still kind of button elbows and, like, jostling for who's the cool guy. And, like, mm-hmm. upstate, everyone's very quiet. Like, mm. you, people talk about their their crimes, like, less. People are much more reserved, much more calculated. Um, but still trying to live that lifestyle. So I was approached many times, like, do you want to, you know, you can work for me when you get out. Cause I had a shorter sentence upstate mm. and like, you could just, you know, run some money or you could just make a couple runs a month and you'd be making money. Like you could just, you know, oh, wow. so the network is still there and you can very easily fall into that lifestyle, right? You can make more connections. You can find better connections for drugs. You can become a better dealer, a better criminal, a better, more connected criminal. Wow. But, yeah, the gangs are are pretty well established. I mean, you have very racial gangs that are split completely on race, yeah. right? And they stay to their own. Yeah. It's, it's exactly like you see. I mean, there's a table full of Latin kings, and there's a table full of bloods, and there's a table full of... Mm-hmm whatever like yeah. it they just people just congregate together like Did you it, witness fights i mean oh, yeah you, and they're yeah. all gang related yeah pretty much all gang related mm-hmm. and wow. so yeah you see people getting cut or see people like in the yard getting dragged out all bloody like mm. not like every day it's not like all the time but it definitely happens it's enough to remind you like i need to be careful so yeah. was there a survivalistic element that kicked in of like okay i got to be cautious on who i connect with and yeah, how i connect um, with them or yeah absolutely i i think you know, part of my fitness journey started out of fear, right? I'm this mm. little guy going into prison. Like, I got to stand up for myself. Yeah. I don't want protection. I don't want somebody else. I need to be strong. I need to be hmm. my own person. So, yeah, the push-ups and the sit-ups started in county. It wasn't serious, but I, one, needed something to do, and two, was, like, scared out of my mind because mm. I didn't know what I was getting into upstate. I had yeah. no idea what that was going to look like. I didn't know if people were going to be trying to take advantage of me and take my food. I didn't yeah. know if they were going to be pushing me around. I didn't yeah. know. I mean, you see videos and movies like these dudes are huge. Yeah. Big dudes in prison. Like yeah. they've kind of tapered that down with feeding people less, but they're still sure. there. Like they're sure. still big dudes upstate that, you know, I've been there for 20 years lifting mm-hmm. weights and just getting strong. Like yeah. it's, yeah, it's scary. So you, so you started doing fitness when you were in County. Yeah. And then once you got upstate, kept doing that and fitness is a huge part of your life right now. Yep. So like, let's talk a little bit about that. You had said when you were in high school, you'd played some sports here and there, but you'd never really made it your passion. I'm assuming as you're in prison, there's not a whole lot of things that can be your passion because <laughs> there's just not a whole lot of options, right? right? Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of freedom, but maybe one place you can find a little bit of freedom is in doing push-ups and sit-ups and lifting weights and doing that. So tell tell everyone a little bit about like that journey of like finding that fitness was an outlet in this time of your life or a connection. Yeah. So I always had the feelings of insecurity. I always had the feelings that I wasn't good enough. I always had, you know, the fear of myself and what was going to happen. So as I'm sitting there for 20 hours a day in a cell by myself, I had to do something. So I had so much nervous energy. The only, I mean, I knew how to do push-ups and I knew how to do squats kind of, and I knew how to do sit-ups. So that's what I did. I was 
you're freaking out. I needed to expend some energy. I couldn't keep punching the wall. Mm-hmm. So I just started doing push-ups out of necessity. Partially fear, partially um, anxiety. And that eventually just became the daily. That just became the habit because there's nothing else to do and all the time in the world to do it. Mm. The only book I had was the Bible. Like they, they give you a Bible hmm. for a reason. I mean, yeah. obvious. There's obvious reasons that they do that. So between fitness, push-ups, and sit-ups, and reading the Bible, like that's how you fill your day. Hmm. Like there's a, a correlation there. So I I kept doing push-ups. I kept doing sit-ups uh, in county. That's like the first three months. Um, the transition upstate was pretty rocky so I wasn't very consistent with that there's not a lot of food along the way you're not well established you don't have a lot of commissary you don't have a lot of friends so you don't really have a whole lot you go to bed hungry a lot you can't do too much exercise in that state I would guess I was eating like 1500 calories maybe maybe a little more Mm. at like I was probably like 175 at that point and just hungry. So I couldn't work out that much in the transition. But then once I got upstate and and leading up to that, like it was just fear. I was just afraid of what was coming. Yeah. I was afraid of, you know, not being strong. I was afraid of not, you know, getting sober. I was afraid of myself. Like I knew there was going to be drugs upstate. I knew that there was going to be opportunities. Like I knew that there was going to be bad influences. So I just, a lot of it was out of necessity and out of fear for the first 10 months, right, or so. And then I got to that year mark and I was, I was upstate and I was sitting there and I was like, you know, if they let me go, I'd stay sober. And that kind of triggered a whole line of thinking that was, you know, I've been working out, like what else could I do, right? I started running yeah. because there was a track. I started doing workouts because I had a little bit more knowledge about how to work out. Um, my mom was sending me workouts. She was doing CrossFit on the outside and she would send me workouts because a lot of them were pull-ups, sit-ups, running. Hmm. So like you were doing Murph pretty much. So I did Murph every weekend for every the weekend? foreseeable future. You were doing Murph every weekend? Yeah. So oh I, was, I, was up, I was upstate for like 12 <laughs> months. I wouldn't say every weekend, but I probably did Murph like 30 Holy times in a year. man. Okay, so if you don't know what Murph is, just if you're listening to this and you don't have a clue what that is, Murph is a mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then another mile run. Man alive. You're supposed to do it with a weight vest, but I didn't have a weight vest. But all we had was a yard with a quarter-mile track and a pull-up bar. So that's pretty much what you had to do. So it was perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. Wow. So that gets you in CrossFit shape real quick right there. That's why I have an engine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just, and running, like running was very peaceful for me. So about a year in, I was consistently getting to the yard. I was consistently getting more food. I was consistently, you know, praying and sleeping and my body was starting to respond. Mm. I was finally building muscle. I was finally getting faster. I was still smoking cigarettes upstate, but I I could finally start running. Mm -hmm. I could finally start to see, you know, oh, I can do five pull-ups now and I can do 10 pull-ups now. And pull-ups was a big one. Like I could never do a pull-up. My first pull-ups was with some dude holding my feet, lifting me up. Hmm. And you didn't kip in prison. You didn't swing on the bar. It was all strict. Yeah. So I did Murph 20 times with strict pull-ups before I ever learned to kip. 
Oh my gosh. For CrossFitters, they'll <laughs> understand. <laughs> so it was much, very much a personal battle. I had a couple friends that, you know, would tag along here and there and would do the push-ups with me or do the sit-ups. Sometimes I'd, I'd have a Selly who was, you know, fit and we would do workouts. But that mission what became my passion. So that like exercise and that self-discipline, like I'm going to run every other day. I'm going to do push-ups in between. Like I, that is what developed my mental fortitude to do other things, right? Sure. Just telling myself I was going to do something and sticking to it was difficult for me. Yeah. Making the bed every day was difficult. So I had to make that a thing. I had to say, all right, every day I'm going to get up. I'm going to make my bed. I'm going to line my shoes up. And I'm going to clean my cell. Like, I have 20 hours. Like, I can at least do that. Yeah. But that didn't come easy for me. I was no. a very messy person. I still am. Like, my my natural state is just messy. Like, I don't clean up after I do things. I, mm-hmm. I, I have to consciously clean. I have to consciously put things away because it doesn't come easy to me. But yeah. by practicing that, by learning discipline, by learning to force myself to do something I didn't want to do... I started to be able to do things that I could never do before, like run, like run farther, like do more pull-ups, like mm. anything. Read the Bible. I I made it. I made it my goal to read the whole Bible. So tell me about that. So you're so you're on the the, the fitness journey, but then you're also handed a Bible, yeah. and you have a little bit of context, right? Because you went to church growing yeah. up, so it's not like you're handed a Bible and you don't know what this is. You probably yeah, but I never took it, it. I never had my own journey. Yeah. So like, so you start reading the Bible. What what's that like? It's interesting. Yeah. I read it cover to cover. Yeah. Like what was not, your conclusion as you like read it or, or your thoughts? Oh, I had lots of, conclu- lots of conclusions. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm not saying I don't remember it all. Yeah. Like it's a very complicated book, especially like reading it straight through. Sure. Like, that's not the best way to do it's, it. It's really not like, in some ways. Reading yeah. like numbers, you're like, what is this? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so much of it like context wise, like as someone who, who has degrees in studying the Bible, it's like I often am like trying to hand people a good starting point, you yeah. know what I mean? But like just reading the Bible cover to cover uh, can 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 provide more uh, confusion sometimes than oh, yeah. help. But like, so you're, you're diving into that, you're praying, you're like, tell me a little bit about what's happening spiritually with Jared yes. at this time. So I, um, I read pretty much every day something um, just because there was nothing else to do. That was the entertainment. That's what you did after dinner because there was, you know, some downtime, you had a couple hours to chill. You got tired of talking to your celly because you're with them all day. Yeah. And you just sit and read. Um, and and the Bible, it started to make sense. Like the stories started to mean something else. I never read the book the book for myself. I always listened to someone's interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. I always listened to a pastor's interpretation mm-hmm. of it. And yeah, I felt like they were talking to me, but I didn't feel like the book was talking to me. I didn't yeah. make my own conclusions. I didn't come up with my own connections, yeah. which was huge. I mean, I, I, that book is there for a reason. Like it, it stood the test of time for a reason. Like mm. the teachings and the learnings and mm. the philosophies and the stories are phenomenal. I mean, I, I, I can't like cite stories for you. I mm-hmm. can't cite passages, but I know what I learned from that stuck. I know that the, yeah. The thoughts and the ideas and the the learnings stuck day to day. You it would connect with things that happened, or it would you know it would resonate with feelings or, or things that I said, and you start to 
develop a framework of how you want to live. So I would just like would write down passages and then I would, you know, pray about them later or I would think about them in my daily actions. And at some point I started to do a reflection every day before I went to bed. It was like prayer, meditation. I would lay there and I would just think about every interaction I had that day and I would replay them in my mind because you don't have too many interactions in a day. Like, yeah, you have a fair amount, but if you actually like go through them, your brain works pretty quick. You can almost go through all your major interactions in a day and, yeah. you know, about five or 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I started to think about how I could have acted differently, how mm. I could have spoke better, how I could have been nicer, how I could have acted better. And a lot of that was replaying what I had read in the Bible. So mm-hmm. it was a learning process the whole way. Yeah. Not everything lined up, and some of the some of the books were just like mud getting through them. But other times, it was it was exactly what I needed to hear in that day. Yeah. So it gave me an outlet. It gave me a reason. It gave me um, more instruction than I had. It sure. gave me a deeper connection with myself more than anything. I mean, yeah. I yeah, I definitely have a connection with God, and I definitely understand Jesus a lot better. But it gave me that connection with myself more than anything. Yeah accountability for what I did throughout the day with with something. So then as I started to do these reflections at night, as interactions came up the next day or down the road, I could see what I was going to do ahead of time and change my actions. That's so good, man. That was a huge, huge change for me. One of the filters I use is something similar to that of like um, the fruits of the spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So like those kind of um, factors, considering like how I can grow from the experiences like you said, like I've had in the last day or in the last week, or when I know I blew it and I didn't have self-control or I wasn't kind or I wasn't like, like mentally telling myself that was not good. Like, and it's so hard sometimes to admit to yourself, I could have done better. I should have done better. Um, And and then to, to say, next time I find myself in that situation, I need to take a breath. I need to, I need to remember that this, these fruits are what are going to birth in me and my relationships health. Does that make yeah. sense? Like these, these types of, of, of ideals. And I'm sure you were, I'm sure there was also an element of that, of also like forgiving yourself in a lot of ways, right? Like the, the, for, the themes of forgiveness and redemption yeah. that are throughout the scriptures, I'm oh, sure yeah. we're connecting with you and like, Maybe I am worth something. Maybe, yeah. maybe I can have a purpose in life. Because I mean, so for so many addicts, that is the real root of their addiction is self worth and, yeah. and like how they see themselves. And so when you say it was about you were connecting to yourself in a new way, I wonder how much of that was like self worth rising up. And also with fitness is probably yeah. helping that too. You're starting to be like, oh, I got muscles now. Like, wow, this is mm-hmm. different. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a huge reflection. It was a huge mirror to look at myself and. It's encouraging that other people have gone through much harder times. I mean, you're sitting there in prison like, oh, this sucks. But then you read the stories of the oppression that happened. Mm -hmm. And you're like, these people died, yeah, right, for what they believe in or Mm -hmm. what they did or whatever. That type of, like, if you, like, actually put yourself in that situation, Mm -hmm. you're not doing too bad in prison. Like, you got food, you got temperature control you got blankets and pillows like yeah they didn't have any of that perspective helps like yeah. it, so that was huge too like there's a lot of yeah. suffering so you get out eventually um 
how long were you? How long did you end up staying? Was I did twenty months. Total. Twenty months. Okay, yeah. so you 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 got out on good behavior and all that. Like, cause right, you got out right away. Yeah, I mean, there's they kind of got rid of good behavior while oh, I, don't I was know how in, that works. Yeah. and it, normally you would get out like a couple months before your minimum. Okay. But I think the judge also knew that they were getting rid of that, and that's why he gave me the weird sentence of 20 to 48. I don't okay. know. I mean, I didn't get to talk to the judge, but sure. I always like to think that he was nice. But you got out in 20 months? 20 months. Um, Where'd you go then? Home. Home? Yeah. So my parents let me come home, gave me another chance, and yeah, they didn't trust me right away. I mean, I had mm-hmm. to prove myself again. I got a job within a couple of weeks. I worked at a concrete plant. I had to do intensive outpatient drug rehab, which was three hours a day, three days a week oh, or something man. like that. Wow. So I was working night shift, doing this three hours a day, like not sleeping that. Like it was a, it was a trying time for me. Energy were you wise. doing CrossFit at that time or were you just kind of just... No. So I was, I was still working out. I had developed a pretty solid workout plant plan that I kind of stuck to. I'd started mm-hmm. doing weights towards the end of my stay. They do have a weight room. So I was, you know, started to squat, deadlift, press, you know, mm-hmm. get some weights in my life, but I wasn't doing any weighted CrossFit. So I kind of kept doing that. Like that was yeah. kind of my plan. I would run two or three times a week. I would go to the gym every day or, you know, five times a week and I would just lift, I would do arms and back mm-hmm. and I would do shoulders and it's I would like do squats and deadlifts. Yeah. yeah. And then I would do some CrossFit, but it wasn't kipping it wasn't clean and jerks it wasn't snatches it was like box jumps and burpees and jump rope like Mm -hmm. the terrible stuff (laughs) just in workouts (laughs) the engine stuff yeah and i would build my strength separate so i was anti not anti-crossfit but i was like i don't need that like i i have a good program right Mm -hmm. like i'm very personal about this like it's my mission i want to be the strongest i can for myself yeah partially it was you know selfish and that I wanted to get a hot chick too but <laughs> I mean that all like was along the way like yeah. that it was partially externally motivated but yeah. it turned into I want to be the best human I can be sure in all aspects I want to yeah. be the most fit I want to be the most kind I want to be the most helpful like mm-hmm. I just want to be a good person at this point and yeah. the bible was big on that like just being a good person for the sake of being a good person sure. like you don't have to do love your neighbor for any reason yeah, like just, you just have to love you just yeah. have to be kind yeah so that's one of my like core values my core values are humble passionate relentless and kind and that has oh, evolved like that. over time to hmm. passionate fearless relentless and kind i dropped the humble because i think that comes naturally to me sure and it's going to hold me back um not being fearless so fear yeah. is kind of one of my big inhibitors in business in life so if i can focus more on being fearless it's going to help me more than humility because i think humility comes natural more naturally for me and i only Mm -hmm. wanted four things because i can't remember that many things (laughs) (laughs) oh that's great no and i think i think there was a there was a point in me that evolved to where fear fearlessness became important like and what i mean by fearlessness in my case was like there would be a lot of things that I would feel like I should do, but I wouldn't do because I felt like I'd be concerned about what someone else might think. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? 100%. And then like over time it was like, I think probably when I hit my thirties, I was like, I just don't care what other people think anymore. And why, why did I let that <laughs> stop me from doing these things that I wanted to do? Like why? Yeah. For and so and long. it's not that they're bad things that like the people I love about, the people I really love are going to like, it was more like, 
it was more the peer pressure, like the high school peer pressure you feel of like, I better dress this way or else my, no. my peer group's not going to accept. And like, it, it, it was just, it was, I realized how immature it was. So like f- a certain level of fearlessness to me be, became a, a value. I wouldn't, I not necessarily wrote it down. I, it's not like I have like, these are my four values, but I think a level of like, be true to what you feel called to, despite what other people think about that and about you. And as long as the people you love and that you know, are like established relationships in your life. Yeah. Like don't, don't listen to the noise kind of was really the, the big thing, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of times that noise can be so, it can control a lot of what we do. Yeah. So I, I think fearlessness is a good, good value. It's hard. Yeah. It, it is. It's very hard. So, so you're out, you're, you're working, you're going to rehab. How long does that last? Like that, that before. So the rehab was, I want to say, Two months or something mm. like that, or because that's was, intensive. Three hours a day is pretty. It intense. was a lot. Yeah, I mean, I would work nights. I would work like ten hours overnight, and then I would have to stay up because I get off at like what, like seven a.m. and I have to stay up till ten to go to this three-hour class, ten to one, mm. and then I'd have to be back in at work at like nine or ten. So it was a it was a tough time, but I had all of the I had the. The fire was lit. I didn't care. I was going to do it at that point. Yeah. I was going to stay sober. I was going to work hard, and I was going to make something. And you myself. also developed a, a routine of discipline in, in, in prison. Like, yeah. <clears throat> waking up and yep. making the bed. And doing, like, so right. you, you, had a, you were able to probably create some type of routine yeah. around that schedule, even though it wasn't ideal. I had some physical capacity because I was exercising. I could kind of, I had that resilience to yeah. not sleep and work back to back 10 hour shit. I mean, mm-hmm. The concrete plant was tough work. I mean, I was in shape and it was tough, like Mm -hmm. sweating for hours on end, swinging a hammer, lifting 100-pound panels. Like it was work, like for for eight hours. And then I would go to this rehab and I actually started hooking up with a girl in the rehab again because that's just my nature apparently, Mm -hmm. like hot girl. Oh, look at her. Like let's. So we had like this fling for a while and that was wearing on my energy also. Because I just wasn't sleeping. Like, I yeah. knew that was bad. And then I, but I didn't have much else going on. So I could just go home and just crash out for my evenings. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I selfishly took time to sleep and I didn't do too much hobby wise. And so that lasted for about, so three months of rehab. And then I was at the concrete plant for 18 months. Mm. And I was, you know, getting into the routine and I was working out and I was getting stronger, kind of. I was cleaning up my diet a little bit. Um, I stopped drinking soda during that time and stopped eating cakes. And cakes, I mean, like tasty cakes every day, like habitually. Because I ate sugar at that point. Um, But slowly started refining my diet. And then I was sitting there and I was like 18 months in. I was like, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. I was I had a car, I was paying off my car, I was looking at getting an apartment. And I was like I don't want to work in this concrete plant for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I did some soul searching, I did some th- research and I was like I'm going to go back and finish my degree. So mm. I asked my parents if I could stay there for another year or two and and go back and get my degree and make something of my life. My goal I was making like 30,000 a year at the concrete plant, maybe a little bit more working 12-hour days, like working my tail off. Um, I wasn't going to get out of the hole that way. Yeah. So my goal was I knew school was going to be expensive, but if I could increase my income to 50000 per year in five years, 
it would pay for itself. So I had to justify the expense sure. of going back to school to myself. And I didn't know how I was going to pay it off. I didn't know where I was going to work. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I had that number. And once I picked the number and I had a goal, I could work towards it. Sure. So not that I'm super goal oriented, but like I, when I pick something and I stick to it, I work a little bit every day to make, to make it towards that goal. Sure. So I went back to school for business education, um, spent two years doing that. Um, I got some loans. And at that point is when I started doing CrossFit. While you were in college? Right, yeah. Right about the same time that I started college, it opened up a lot of more free time for me. I did a, I did a CrossFit competition, and Mare and Ty saw me there, and they came over, and they're like, hey, we want you to coach. We heard you don't have a gym. And I was mm. like, I have a gym. It's New York Fitness. <laughs> 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 oh, that's great. Like, no, like we want you to coach at, at our CrossFit How gym. long ago was that? Four years ago. Jeez. Almost. Wow. Yeah. So Mare and Ty just saw you. Yeah. And Mare and Ty, Meredith and Ty Rost, uh, they, they, they saw you, the owners of CrossFit Gamma, yeah. at a competition. Which competition? This was Ephrata. Ephrata, uh, like Lanco games? Not Lanco. Or? It was a turkey throwdown oh, okay. of like 24. 14. And how long were you in CrossFit when you did that? Or did you just do, you do, you weren't even at a CrossFit gym. I was doing strict pull-ups and terrible thrusters. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> not great. I had done that competition twice, I think. And it was the second time I did it. And I did slightly better than the first time I did it. So I was happy. I was improving, getting fitter. I was I didn't have skills. Like I just did muscled through everything and I ran really fast. Like, yeah. So I was like, no, you know, I'll try. I can't afford it, first of all. Like, yeah. I was in college. I didn't have mm -hmm. money at that point. I was bumming off my mom and dad. My mom knew what CrossFit was. She she was doing CrossFit years prior and had stopped. But she, so I, I, like, knew what CrossFit mm -hmm. was. Like, I was, do, I was following the workouts. I would, you know, do some main site stuff. And um, Ty and Mare wanted you to coach, though. They didn't even know if you were a good coach at that time. Or how, what did they know they, about you? Um, how did they, they know you? They saw my passion okay. in my workouts. Nice. I was in it. I was dedicated. I was blood, sweat, and tears in every workout, and I was yeah. ferocious. And I was. I've like, seen you work out, dude. That's exactly. I'm that's like, what they said. When, <laughs> yeah, they're like, I don't even know, but like, you have it. Like, when you have that tenacity. I'll never forget. What was it? Was it 18.1 or 18.2? Oh, which one was it? I don't know. It was. It was 17. Which one was it with the burpee box? Yeah, dude. <laughs> what did you what how did you fit what, what did, do you remember what you, i was did, like second in like in the region know, in the region or something yeah dude i remember watching part of the video of that or something and i was just like jared i don't know if i could go that fast in burpee box overs <laughs> like sprinting like sprinting for like 20 seconds and you were going that fast for like it was like a twenty minute workout. It was ten minute workout. Oh, it just it just seemed like forever though, because I remember that workout. Wasn't it a ten minute workout for me? Yeah, for you. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. it was a twenty minute workout for everyone else. That's what I'm trying to say. So like you, you, I just remember looking. I'm like Jared is just in a whole different world. So I could totally see how Ty and Mary could see that and be like, this person doesn't have a CrossFit gym and needs a no. place. So 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 how did that? So you stayed in touch with them, or did you jump on that right away? Because you said um, you were apprehensive. Because you yeah, I was apprehensive. I was like, I'll come check it out. And they're like, all right, yeah, no problem. We can make it work. And they like, 
they charged me like half price or something for the first month because mm. they just really wanted me to come and like see the community because they knew that that's what I was missing. Like oh, I didn't wow. have like a group of friends there cheering for me. I had like my parents, which was yeah. dope. Like, but I didn't have, you know, the group of friends teaching me how to stretch and teaching me how to do muscle ups and teaching mm. me how to snatch like that type of stuff takes an army. Like yeah. that takes a community to agree to share those skills because it's very rare that somebody's good at all of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the first month I was like, I don't know, like I, I guess I could coach down the road, but I have to learn a lot of stuff first, and like I have to, you know, feel a part of the community because I don't, you know, I want to, I want to be something, you know, for that community. I don't just want to exist. Like I want to, I want to thrive. Yeah. So yeah, I was super apprehensive going in, and it was right about open season. Um, the Open is an online qualifier that happens every year for CrossFit, and it leads to the games. It's changing this year, so the format's going to change a little bit. But at that time, it was a, it was um, a it's it's still a yearly competition that everyone kind of gets pretty hype about and, mm-hmm. and puts a lot of effort in. And it was right about that time that I started at Gamma, and it was cool because everyone like got together on a Thursday or Friday night and they were like watching these workouts being announced and then they all did the workout and like, it was cool. Cause I didn't, I didn't have that, that experience ever. And I, I, I knew that I fit in and that I was capable because I, I was doing fairly well and I didn't even know how to do the movements. I didn't yeah. know how to do kipping. I didn't know how to, mm-hmm. I was just like giving it my all and, and ripping my hands and having a good time. But that led to me going to get my L1 certification, which was you know your CrossFit teaching certification so that you can teach classes. And I remember sitting there like, man, I'm way fitter than all these people. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like a very selfish, like cocky, like realization. But I was like, yeah, I can do this. Like I, I got what it takes. Like if I learn the skills, like I can do whatever, like yeah. I could go to the games, like, yeah. cause I didn't know like how elite that was at that point. Yeah. But for like a fleeting moment, I was like, yeah, I could be a competitor. Mm-hmm. And that ended like a month later, but <laughs> it was like, did not. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was a great like learning. It was a whole new like fire in my stomach. It was a whole new passion for life. I had a whole new pathway to go down and learn that I hadn't expected. So I have a lot more time to kind of be at the gym. I'm in college. Um, I'm getting straight A's for the first time in my life. Like I, I was applying myself in all aspects and that felt good. Like I was still living at home. I still felt like a child because I wasn't supporting myself. So there's definitely still insecurity there. Mm -hmm. Like I was like just trying to get on my feet but taking my time. Like I wasn't, you know, trying to rush out of my parents. I was spending time with my parents because I had spent so many years hiding from them and they didn't know who I was. And they were just happy that I was sober and that I was like being a good person that they wanted me to stay. So it was, it was a really great time for those two years because I could develop an honest relationship with my parents and, and tell them, you know, what was going on in my life. And they're like, man, like we don't, we don't even want to know almost at this point. Like (laughs) we're just glad you're better, but it was wonderful. And I'm blessed to be able to have that experience. But I tell people like, even if I wouldn't have paroled home, I still would have made it like, because 
I had that mindset made up. Like, yeah. it wasn't about my situation. It wasn't about like, oh, well, my parents helped me. Like, yeah, they definitely did. And I'm grateful beyond belief. But if I, I had to do it on my own, I still would have made something out of my life. Whether I would yeah. still be at the concrete plant, hammering nails and sweating my tits off. Yeah. Like, I was going to make something of my mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Whatever that was. Like, whatever that is. Sure. I was blessed with that opportunity, so I want to create something that's special that can help other people now. Like, my mission is to share my story and and inspire other people and set up systems that can help other people in whatever situation become a better person. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So, so uh, just the athlete side, because you said <laughs> you said that that faded fast, dude. You went to regionals on a team. Like, tell people a little bit about that journey. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so regionals is a competition. If you qualify good enough in the open, you can go to regionals. And I, my placings, I mean, there's, what, like 3,000 men in our division, in our region? Yeah. Um, My best finishes were, I I think I finished like 78, 48, 38, or something like that. I, I... I did all right. Top 20 go to regionals as an individual. And that kind of was always my goal was top 20. Mm-hmm. So like I, I tried two years, uh, two years in a row. One year I, I, I tried pretty hard. I mean, I tried hard every year. I'm not going to like I, I always, you know, gave my all for the open and, and just to honestly measure myself against other people and see where I was. So I, I did I did well in that arena, and I'm, I'm always proud of how I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always room for improvement. So we talk about this a lot, like being content with where you're at, but striving for more. Yeah, is a constant debate in my head. Like, how do I not just say, oh, "Okay, I've done it. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I can just chill now. I achieved some fitness. I helped some people. I can just kind of sit back and relax." And versus like always striving for the next level, like. And, and being unhappy that I didn't make it as an individual and unhappy mm. that I didn't, you know, win some prestigious prize or get to the next level or achieve the next uh, achievement. There's got to be a balance there. So, yeah, I'm happy with how I did. I mean, I, I, I think it's crazy that where, you know, my fitness has taken me and the things yeah. that I'm capable of. I'm grateful for my abilities. And regionals was kind of like a culmination of that so we sent a team it was my cousin his wife and or their one friend because you need two guys and two girls to do this this uh, team competition so it was a great time we qualified it was kind of stressful qualifying but then once we were there I mean we were just having fun we we knew we pretty much didn't have a shot of going to the games right we weren't going to be top three at regionals there's some very serious athletes on that top podium, and and we were just having fun. It was a blast. There were so many fit people in one area, and everyone was just throwing down and yeah. giving it their all and sweat and tears, and, and that is a wonderful, unique experience that I'm blessed to have. Yeah. So regionals was a blast. I uh, They're not doing regionals the same way anymore. Now they're doing qualifiers. So we're still, I'm still talking to some people about maybe trying to get a team together for that. And that might happen down the road. Like it's not off the table. There's still yeah. an opportunity to compete on a team. I feel like I'm, I'm good enough to be a, a team athlete. I did one of the qualifiers for one of the sanctioned events and I got 
53. And again, you have to be top 20 to go to this competition, mm-hmm. which is similar to regionals, but it's it's super competitive. I mean, these... So these I'm, sanctioned events, because the, the, the new way is that the way to get to the games is to win a sanctioned event. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, we don't have to go into all that for people yeah. who aren't in CrossFit, but like... That's the competitive the, series the, now. That, that's the... Comp- yeah. that, that's, that's, that's regionals now, is yeah. the way of saying it. Like, so like... Yeah. And there's a bunch of them. There's like 12 yeah. of them or whatever. And so, or maybe even 16. I don't know. But yeah. they... Uh, and then, or you have to win the open or you have in to win your the region, no, or not in your region, in your country. I think in the country. I don't <laughs> know. We, nobody really. You're knows not in the what's best happening. country for how that's going to work out, Jared. <laughs> yeah. So, you, uh, but no, I mean, I think I think the the cool thing is, is like we don't know what all this is going to pan out. There might still be a path for you to to compete yeah. in that. And, and either way, I love the open, even for the standpoint of like, I'm not an athlete in any sense of like competitive, but like. It was crazy to see my number from the first year I did CrossFit to the to the second Absolutely. year I did CrossFit to do the open and be yeah. like, oh wow, like I went from like a hundred thousand to like seventy thousandth in the world or something. Yeah. And you're like, Whoa, I made like a thirty thousand jump. Like and that seems minuscule until you like look at it and you're like, Wow, I learned how to do a pull up between here yeah. and there. I learned how to do this between here and there. Like yeah. and you're like, Oh man, I'm I'm or my my clean and jerk went from here to here. Like and you're just when you when you step back, it can, so much in CrossFit is transferable in life, like in the sense of like just growth and kind of that already but not not yet mindset that like already yeah I have accomplished some stuff but yeah. not yet like there's yeah. still more like you know what I mean and like that is a tension I think that plays not just in CrossFit but in life too you yeah. know what I mean like like oh my relationship with my wife is great but it could be better like yeah. and I should be thankful for where it's at now. But I also want to grow it. I also want to invest in it. I don't want to get complacent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I think it's that growth mindset is really helpful. For me, it's been very helpful in parenting, in you know, doing my best to be a good husband and doing my best to be a good person. Oh, yeah. You know, I, it, it's super helpful to have that growth mindset. But to also look back and be like and celebrate what you've accomplished, you yeah. know, in relationships or in life. And so that's awesome. So For me, it started just like at a base level. I had to follow my heart, right? Follow my gut mm. because I knew what was right and wrong, right? Yeah. I know what's like, I have a guiding compass, but sure. I have to honestly follow that even though like people are leading me astray or people might suggest something different and I want to agree with them. But if I know what's right in my heart, yeah, I can't just give in to that temptation. I just can't give in and say, oh yeah, you're right. I can listen to, you know, mm-hmm. try to like influence them and show them why or, but I just can't like blindly follow anymore. I have to, you know, put it into my framework and acknowledge if that's something that I want to do or not and follow my heart because then I can start to do progressive things and I can start to contemplate, mm-hmm. you know, which direction I want to go. But but if I don't like actually contemplate if it's good or bad, then I have no direction. Mm -hmm. So then I can start to be open-minded. I can start to be, you know, contemplative on different topics. Like, you know, if I want to eat sugar or not, or if I want to like, then I can have a reason, then I can have a choice. Mm -hmm. But, but at that basic level, if I don't follow my moral compass and I don't develop some fortitude, I'm never going to be able to make conscious informed decisions on my own behalf. Yeah. I'm just going to kind of meander through life. And I see it all the time. And I think at that basic level, we have to make a change or I had to make a change because I wasn't going to get anywhere just kind of, 
dilly-dallying or kind of flip-flopping or just doing whatever I felt like versus what I knew what was right. Yeah. So how long have you been CrossFit coaching now? Four years. I'm up for renewal soon. Every five years, you have to get your L1 renewed. Again, yeah. 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 Do... uh did you meet Cher at Gamma or? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we've, we met. Because she's a coach at Gamma too, year, I guess, if people don't know. About a year into Gamma, Cher walked in and she was strong and tall and beautiful and blonde. And I was instantly interested. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I wasn't like serious. So we like talked a little bit. And Did she come in as a coach or no, as an athlete? Yeah. She didn't have her L1 even. Okay. Um, she was an athlete. She had done some other things. She was doing uh, MMA for a while, and she had done CrossFit for Shared a while. She did MMA. She did I like didn't a know stint, that. like a. But she was the very much like jumping from one thing to another. Like I could see she, Cher doing MMA. Yeah, she's mean. <laughs> she uh, she like ran for a while, and she did some like half marathons and sure. a bunch of half marathons, and then she did a full marathon, and then she was kind of over that, and then she did like some MMA and some CrossFit and some strongman. And she just, like, was mm-hmm. new to the area. And she's like, oh, I'm going to do some more CrossFit. Like, and she's mm-hmm. going to do that for a while. So she came in, and she was a great athlete. Like, she had the push. She had the drive. She had that look mm-hmm. in her eye yeah. and, and the, the strength and the tenacity. So we, we connected on that level. And then <clears throat> at some point, I found out she was sober. And that's when I became seriously interested. Because I, I didn't want a relationship. I was very much on my own journey still. I was very much, you know, girls are just for fun at this point. Mm-hmm. I was talking to some girls, but I wasn't seeing them, right? Like yeah. it wasn't serious. I was all, you know, invested in what I wanted to do with my life at that point. Mm-hmm. And a girl didn't fit into that picture. I was still nervous. I was still unsure of what type of girl I wanted and what, you know. Yeah. And I lost a lot of it probably because such of the stuff you had done in your past that you were get, trying to get away from was attached to some of the relationships yeah, you had, a lot of right? It, yeah. so, so it was like, I want to make sure if I'm going to dive into so a I did relationship. Have a, yeah, I did have a serious relationship before Cher. I was in college. Um, so that, that was, let me think, I'll put it in a, a time frame. I did two years of college to get my degree when I went home, when I went mm-hmm. back. <clears throat> and I met a girl pretty early on, and I dated her for that whole college experience pretty much. Yeah. Um, until... About three months before I graduated, I took an honest look. She was very different from anything that I had ever had before. She was very safe. She was very um, sober, but not because she had done a bunch of drugs, because she had done none. Mm. She was um, very smart. She was very book smart. She was very analytical. She liked cats. She wanted to live in the city. And she liked, I mean, just everything that I did. She was a vegetarian. I was mm. ate all of the meat. I mean, <laughs> and not that I have a problem with, obviously, you're a vegetarian. Yeah. Like, obviously, I don't have, Jared like, knows I'm a vegetarian, so now he's going to, like, double back. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a problem with vegetarians, Justin. It's okay. <laughs> no, but, I, like, I know what you mean. Her, she just didn't want to kill animals, which is fine. Yeah. Like, yeah, good. But it wasn't for health reasons at all. Yeah. Like, I was trying to be healthy, right? Sure. Like, I eat a lot of animals, but I I try to eat healthy. Yeah, and but you realize there was, was an incompatibility yeah, there, just like long term, different. And I had just ended that relationship, and I it was kind of putting feelers out at the gym, like single, like mm-hmm. maybe looking for something, maybe looking to have fun, and mm-hmm. like people knew, like girls talk, whatever, yeah. like. 
So she came in and I it was instant. Like I didn't want a serious relationship because I just gotten out of that yeah. and like that was serious. She was like, you know, we were getting ready to graduate and stuff, and I just knew that wasn't going to be it. I knew I could have just. She was going to make a ton of money, and I could have just done whatever I wanted for the rest of my life. Oh, okay. Like wow. not a ton, but she was going to yeah, be well sure. off, and. I didn't want to fall into that trap because I wasn't going to be fulfilled if I didn't have to work for something for myself. Mm. And I knew to build something for myself, I needed to have nothing, Mm. right? Because I wouldn't have the desire. I wouldn't have the drive. So all this fits into the framework of wanting to help people. I wanted to share my story. I want to help other people get sober. I want to help other people fulfill their life that are mm. feeling unfulfilled yeah. because there's a void there. That's what uh, I think it's all about. So I met Cher. She told me she was sober because it, she had some, you know, issues. And, and that is when I realized that I wanted to see what this girl was actually about and not just mm-hmm. get to know her. So then I started pursuing her and she was recently out of a relationship. She's like, no, I don't know. No, you're crazy. You're kind of weird. And (laughs) I don't want a relationship. Like you're a coach. Like I I don't want it to be weird at the gym. And like she had a million reasons why. Sure. So we, yeah, we started talking and um, I'd say it's, you know, three, four weeks before we admit that we like each other, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit longer. So then we start dating like New Year's of 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. 16, 17, 18, 19, 2016, mm-hmm. I think. Four yeah. years. We got married. We got engaged a year later and married a year after that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Progressed pretty quick. We moved in right away together. We get along perfectly. We're much more similar. Goals are oriented much, you know, much more. Um, we push each other to be better a lot more and that's why I think it works a lot better because we both know Mm. where we came from and what we want so we keep pushing each other to be better right and and that's a very special relationship to me is is that type of um honest like drive to want to help the other person Mm -hmm. Um, because I never had that before I never like honestly just wanted to make her life easier and help her achieve her goals i was much more like what can i get out of this relationship not mm. what can i bring to this relationship yeah so it was it was that was that was life changing too yeah yeah that's awesome man so um these days you're you're doing personal training and you're still crossfit coaching like you're still in classes yeah you coached last night's class yep two um, classes yeah i was in that class last night it was um, fun and you, uh, you're also still doing like personal training, like where you just have people come in, what, for like a half hour session or an hour session or something? One hour. Yeah. yeah. How's that going? It's going awesome. And that's new, right? That's new in the last, what, few months? In the year. year? I've been doing yeah, it for, last, a year for a year yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah. So I started January one of the last year, 2018, um, personal training. I was going to go part time at my job. So I was working at a ranch, just cutting grass, chopping wood and tearing down barns and as a job like as a manual labor job it was dope I could it was pretty much relaxed you could pretty much do your own thing you Mm -hmm. knew what was required and you just went and did it it would I mean it it paid okay it paid better than any job I had had before but it still wasn't enough to 
get on top. I still wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. getting on top. I was still going to struggle for a while to, you know, achieve that level of security. And, and I really appreciate freedom more than the paycheck. So sure. I knew I needed to do something for myself. And, mm-hmm. and the plan was to do personal training, start writing a book and, and do um, public speaking so that I can spread the message, help people and yeah. have financial security so that I can travel and help more people. So awesome. ideally, I want to be able to get Cher to quit her job so that she can do the same thing, um, personal training and, and life coaching, nutrition coaching, and, and just help people in general, but that we can travel and, and see the country and do engagements and drop in at gyms and just spread the good word, just yeah. spread the positive message and spread love to the world. Yeah. And that that's the dream. I mean, that's the ultimate goal is that we can just be financially stable enough to travel and and spread the good word, do some cool. public speaking, sell the book and just be happy. That's awesome, man. Yeah. When do you think the book's going to come out? I'd you, say another year. Another yeah. year. Yeah. I'm, I'm plugging away pretty good at this point. It was, it was hard to find a balance between... So I, I started doing personal training and it took off really quick. I expected to have like six months to like just write this book, but I ended up being super busy. Like yeah. Pretty quick. You are pretty busy, man. I mean, cause I go to 5am sometimes I'm, I'm, I try to be at 5am most mm-hmm. times, but like even then you're sometimes training right yeah. already at five or six. And then like yep. even in the evenings you're training and throughout the day, like, yeah, you got a lot of clients, huh? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm up to almost 40 hours a week of personal training. Wow. And I do on-ramp for the gym, and I have to travel, you know, a little bit of driving to see some clients at their houses. But it's it's awesome. I mean, I, I get to talk to people about what their fears are and what their insecurities are and help mm. them work through why they're not feeling good today and what they ate and how they slept because it's it's a combination of all those things that you feel good and you're able to exercise in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Like we're not just trying to go in there hungry, angry, tired and, and pound some weights. Like yeah. that's not going to get us to our goal. Like we need to be well nourished. We need to be well slept, well kept, and then go and push ourselves over that line a little bit farther each day Yeah, to get to the next level and then recover. That's what, that's what CrossFit's taught me so much about too is like, and like people like Ben Bergeron, um, who has a podcast chasing excellence, which is really good. Like in in the sense of like nutrition is so vitally important. Sleep is so vitally important. How you recover is so vitally important. Whereas like in bodybuilding, which was, I was just kind of like globo gym, pop in, do chest, you know, back arms, whatever, like legs, you know, like, and do that four times a week and maybe run on the treadmill for 20 minutes or something and go, you know, and like, but never paid attention to nutrition really. Didn't care if I got four hours of sleep, you know. Maybe what kind of know. protein are you taking? Yeah. Bro? Oh yeah, of course. GNC will <laughs> sell you everything. Yeah. Well, and and like the pro, you learn later like the protein is such a small factor in comparison <laughs> to all these other things. Like, like it's such a small little dial. And like and as 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 CrossFit has helped me dial those things in, and I've heard you and other coaches talk about the importance of that, and and people like Ben Bergeron, other 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 thinkers and leaders in that community, I'm like, wow, I, I never realized how much until I did it. Like I I had my nutrition really dialed in this summer and like my CrossFit workouts, not initially when I dialed it in, cause it was definitely an adjustment of like, you know, uh, what I was, you know, taking in. But then once I got into that rhythm of that, you know, nutritional way, like, and I was sleeping well, I just had a whole different level of energy 
in the gym, and I would even say in life of like um, patience and understanding and just like an ability to kind of like reflect more like you know what i mean like like i really yeah our brain works your brain works better i think that was part of my addiction is just malnutrition and i wasn't focused on i didn't care to feed myself well because i didn't know how good i'd feel yeah and i deal i mean dealing with the general population doing personal training it's amazing what people fuel their body with and then the energy that they don't have and the things that they're missing out on when they start eating, they're like, Holy cow, I feel amazing. Yeah. Like not, not to mention like losing weight and gaining muscle and yeah. liking how they look, but just how their brain is functioning. They start to talk faster. They start to be more excited. They have a glow. Like yeah. that's all nutrition. Like we can mm-hmm. exercise all we want, but if you're not eating and sleeping right, I feel a million times better, mm-hmm. right? Like sometimes I'm like, I need to go eat some vegetables. Like I just am not on point. Yeah. Like, and it's just completely like mm-hmm. what I ate the day before, the two days before. Yeah. That's and my first, me. my first like six months of CrossFit, maybe even my first year of CrossFit, I was very disciplined about no matter what, no matter what time I go to bed, I'm at 5 a.m. class because I needed that at that yeah. moment. I just needed that like no matter what I'm doing. And now like I had a, I had a late meeting uh, the other day and so I didn't get to bed till like midnight, which is really rare for me. But I'm like, I'm not waking up at 4.20 to go to 5 a.m. class because I could do that. I could like, I could physically do that. Yeah. I'm going to have a crappy workout. I'm going to be tired all day. Yeah. It's going to be awful. So I came to the evening class. Does that yeah. make sense? Like last night with yeah. you. And it's like, the thing is, is like, I've also given myself freedom to say, look, the, the better thing, the healthier thing to do is to say, okay, I'm going to evening class tonight. Like I'm, and, and, and like even learning how some of those disciplines were working against me because I would be like, look, I did the right thing for my body today, but I actually had really bad recovery and that's going to take two or three days to recover from only getting four hours of sleep that night. You know what I mean? Like, so like learning about my body in that way has been really interesting and like unique because I I never really thought of it that I never thought sleep was so important. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And, uh, all my barriers are nutrition and sleep at this point. Like how good, how well can I recover? Mm-hmm. Like I know what I have to do. And I mean, yeah, time in the gym is one thing. Like if I allocate the right amount of time in the gym, but mm-hmm. all of my strength increases are going to happen if I eat better. All of my skill acquisition is going to happen if I spend the time in the gym and sleep better, right? So mm-hmm. that I can process those thoughts. But if I'm just exercising more and more, right? Like my shoulder just isn't going to get stronger, I have to eat better and then rest it and then sleep and then do it again slightly, you know, slightly harder. But all of my, you know, at this point, all of my gains yeah. are nutrition and sleep. Yeah. That's yeah. so fascinating because most people don't think that way. Yeah. Like about- I can just maintain and like get by. But yeah. I'm not going to get better if I don't change anything, if I don't really focus on nutrition. And so what really are you doing nutrition? Sleep. What are you doing nutrition wise right now personally? I'm just curious. Uh, I have a pretty well established like routine. I wake up. I usually make six eggs, bacon, and and oatmeal. I don't follow any like calorie requirement for the day. I yeah. I do track for a period of time to see what my balance looks like, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm higher on the fat than most people are because I eat bacon and eggs almost every day. Sure. Um, I eat mostly turkey and chicken as my meals. So we'll we'll meal prep. You know, sometimes twice a week. Yeah. Once a week, I usually make soup. And that's different. It's a bunch of vegetables. It's a whole chicken that I cook down. Yeah. Make the bone broth, um, onions, tomatoes, mushrooms, 
squashes, peppers, whatever vegetables yeah. I feel like putting in there. And that's one of my favorite weekly meal preps. Mm-hmm. I'll eat that every week. It's always different. I put different flavors in, but that's like usually our lunch for three or four days of the week. Yeah. Um, and then we'll make big dinners and meal prep the rest for lunch. So that's usually consists of turkey burgers or like a stir fry or a chicken bake or some sort of turkey or chicken that we mm-hmm. put with vegetables and we just make it a hundred different ways. So you just have to be creative and it's decide how, how you're going to eat your chicken and vegetables that day. Yeah. Um, I eat red meat. I eat fish. You know, I, I try to keep red meat limited to once or twice a week. Um, but really, the past, you know, four months, we've been focusing more on vegetables. So we just have a ton of frozen vegetables. We have a ton of freezer, um, fresh vegetables. And we just try to eat with every meal some sort of vegetable. Okay. Um, so that's kind of like the quick version of it. I do try to keep my sugars, my carbs steady through the day and put my sugars around workouts. Yeah, because so you don't do sugar. sugar. Like you don't do sugar much, but you do it no. at a, only one particular yeah, time. Yeah, after right? a workout, a lot of times I'll, I'll take sugar. Why I do you was, do that? I was doing a, a protein shake with sugar in it to spike my insulin okay. and increase absorption. But recently I stopped doing that too because I just wanted to see how much effect it was having just to do okay. like a two-month, you know, taper off of that, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I still do some protein, but mostly I'll, I'll eat some figs after a workout or a fig bar gotcha. or some sort of um, higher sugar content food at that point. But then throughout the day, like I don't have sugary treats. It'll be sure. like oatmeal for breakfast, rice for lunch, and ideally like a sweet potato for dinner mm-hmm. or we do eat bread so i will eat like pita with wheat whole wheat or i'll eat bagels mostly whole wheat stuff i yeah. try to limit enriched flours mm-hmm. uh, sugars that type of nutrient it's just it doesn't sit well it's not as nutrient dense so i i do try to like i have some things there that i i don't cross that line um like I never eat fried food. Occasionally I'll have like fried wings, um, but not like breaded chicken pretty much ever. I pretty much never eat French fries. Like they just don't have like a nutrient value to me. Yeah. Um, my cheats would be like bacon or like a really good burger or, you know, that type of like greasy or it would be more of a cheat for me. Mm versus like eating candy bars or eating ice cream. I mean, I eat ice cream sometimes. Like I have I have my moments, but they're just few and far between, sure. right? Like so I, I treat myself, you know, I, like anyone else should. Like I, I try to explain that to people. Sure. Like you're going to have birthday parties. You're going to have Christmas. Mm-hmm. But you don't need like a daily uh, slushy habit, sure. for example. And that's sure. like a very obvious one. But like the sodas and the teas and, you know, the high sugar content stuff is what I really caution people against um, as a daily habit. Yeah. 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 I've seen you're 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 pretty strict with your with your diet, though, I feel like or at least. And, yeah. and maybe that's also like when you guys were built, leading up to regionals or leading up to uh, qualifying for regionals. I know you were you were dialing all that in because, like you said, yeah. there's not. There's a lot to be gained in the gym when you dial that stuff in and when you yeah, get really serious about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say too, I right? am like, yeah. more so than most people I know. I have, you know, stricter habits. 
but I'm not perfect. I mean, I I oh, I have cheats, and people are amazed when they see me eating, you know, a cheeseburger or <laughs> like a cake or something because it is rare. But it it happens. Like it's it's not like I'm never eating that stuff. I just I just don't feel good when I do, so I don't eat it very often. Like yeah, it feels yeah. good in the moment, but you have to play that out over the next day or two and think about you know how you're going to heal and the inflammatory response. And there's a lot that goes into it that we don't take into account because we don't know how it feels until you cut all that stuff out. Yeah. So with your clients, do you advise them nutrition too then? Like yeah, you're, yeah. You're, we, do, we do talk about nutrition a lot. Every Almost every workout while we're stretching or warming up, I'll say, hey, what'd you eat today? Just to give them a, that accountability. Sure. So everybody needs somebody to keep them in check. And if I can be that person for them, great. I mean, so if I, if I was like, hey, Jared, I'm thinking about becoming you know one of your clients uh, do you meet with most of your clients like once a week and then give them a program to follow when you're not with them? Or do you meet yeah. with them? Like, I'm just curious how most people, most do of my clients, them. I meet twice a week and we talk about what they're going to do in between. So like cool. say we meet Tuesday, Thursday, we lift the weights, we squat, we deadlift, we clean if that's what they're into. Most of my clients are doing a mix of interval training, um, with some weights, CrossFit style, but not um, that intensity at that level. Sure. I mean, CrossFit is for everyone at a certain level, but not everyone should be doing snatches and muscle ups and, oh, sure, and yeah. kipping. Like, so most of my clients are doing some sort of, you know, 10 to 15 minute workout with squats and burpees and jump rope and running and kettlebells and dumbbells and safe, effective movements. Sure. That's a, a workout style. And then we're going to do a strength most days. So it's similar layout to like a CrossFit class where you do a strength and a workout or just a workout, but it's not the clean and jerks and the snatches and the the dangerous movements that are associated with CrossFit uh, exactly. So yeah, I use my methodology. Like I have some powerlifting background. I have some bodybuilding. So we do some Mm -hmm. of that. Some of my clients don't do any cardio because either they can't handle it or they don't like it and it stresses them out. So Mm -hmm. we just follow more of a bodybuilding regimen where we're lifting, we're doing some core, you know, some sustained effort stuff, but not the heart beating, heavy breathing cardio. Sure. sure. So it's, it's tailored for everyone. And I feel like I have a good mix, but then most of the time we, we have a, a shared Google doc with all of my clients separately and, and they get their own program for at home. So if they're, they're up for it and they're able to, we're going to work out four or five days a week twice with me and then three times on their own Mm -hmm. some of them like to go to to the gym and just run so they'll have like a planet fitness for 10 bucks a month and they'll go and just run on two of their off days or bikes so that they get that cardio gotcha and then i'll give them home workouts some of them have uh you know some dumbbells and and ab mat or you know even like a treadmill at home so i can make up little circuits for them to do at their house so it, sure. it's an all encompassing program i mean i do all different sorts of stuff with different people but most people i meet twice a week and gotcha. and most and most of them pay 300 a month okay as an idea it just kind of gives you a ballpark but it's it's really amazing to see the response to people when i tell them what i do cuz they're like oh you're just a personal trainer like how is that and it, it's it's really more about the psychology and the interpersonal relationship than it is the training. I mean, yeah. like I can have them do all the squats in the world, but they're not going to get any thinner or fitter if we don't learn about life a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's and I do think like in some ways you're you're paying for accountability too. You're yeah. paying for someone who's going to come <clears throat> alongside you and like 
encourage you, maybe enlighten you on some things, give you knowledge you don't have, yeah. but also encourage you and be like, well, why'd you eat that? Yeah. That's you, the best. You know you're not supposed to eat that. You know we don't eat that. Like yeah. and 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 I mean there's been times where some of the CrossFit coaches, you know, why why did you do that? Like we don't do that. Like you know what I mean? Like and I think there's that and it's not like shaming somebody. It's more like I think it's more like encouraging the identity that they desire, but sometimes they don't have the the fortitude to stick with it, you know? And then when you have that moment, you're like, you're right. I we don't do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and, and then there's this, like, this, like, I don't know, for me, at least there's this light switch. It's like, okay, next time I'm in that place, I know how to respond. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. At least that's how I think of it and how I interact, have interacted with like, yeah. Saying no is tough. Yeah. Like but, learning to say no sucks. Oh yeah. And I mean, yeah, all the way back to my drug addiction, that was a big part of it, but I see it in everyone. Like if you don't have a drug addiction, then you're, like saying no is even harder because it's not as apparent. Like my drug addiction was like apparently wrong. Like you had easy. to say no or you were going to die. Eventually yeah. Like it, it's right? in my face. Like uh, uh, that decision is very cut and dry, but when it comes down to like the salad or the, the hamburger or the chili cheese dog or the French fries and a Coke, like that no is a lot softer because it's like, eh, I'll stop. You know, it's not that bad for yeah. me. Like I, I could be worse. Yeah. That's what I hear all the time. It could have been worse. Like I could have had, you know, crack cocaine for lunch. But that saying no to those like daily things or those those foods that are going to get you in trouble is the hardest part because yeah, you want to be fit and people want to be healthy and people want to live that lifestyle. They want the results without that lifestyle, I think, is the problem. It's hard to say no to that stuff. And sugar is so addicting. I don't think we recognize... I don't think we see sugar as a drug, but it really, in a lot of ways, is. Absolutely. And it certainly... I mean, diabetes has killed a lot of people. Like, when you really think about it, it really has, like... um, And it really is something that, you know, is serious to consider when you have... I I remember when I was... um, in college, I would come home and work. I worked one summer at a, a factory um, in Shelbyville. It was a glass factory, so like, and it was 12 and a half hour shifts because yeah. the lines never stopped and there were 12 hour shifts, but you had to stay. You had to get there early and stay a little late to make sure your relief came or whatever. So <clears throat> you go in, and all I would do all night was I would pick a piece of glass off the line, hold it up to the light, make sure there was no imperfections, put it down, and then pull a piece of paper down to cover it and then another piece of glass would be waiting for me 12 <laughs> all summer dude and like people are losing their fingers in oh this plant gosh. like this is it's it's kind of bordering on dangerous because there's heavy machinery around and i'm a guitar player so i'm like oh man i don't want to lose my yeah. finger like I, I can't lose my finger like not that i want to lose my finger anyway but like i'm like there's there's even more incentive and like i remember i would go through two two liters of mountain dew yeah. every night easy not diet Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew. Yeah. And I'm like, I look back at that, I'm like, how in the world would I drink four liters of Mountain Dew a night <laughs> for a whole summer and I didn't die? Like, and, and, and now I don't drink that. Like, I, 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 I'm really, the only sugar I have at this point when I'm really dialed in is fruit. Like, that's, yeah. that's the only source of my, of my sugars. And so, but like, but I look back at that and I'm like, it would have been like a withdrawal if you would have told me to just stop sugar altogether because I was also eating sugar. I was eating, yeah. you know, I was, I would be eating 
high carb, like not, not good carbs. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, lots of bread, lots of, you know, just, uh, probably donuts or whatever, like just for breakfast, something easy yeah. like that. You know what I mean? And like, and I look back at it and I'm like, man, that's, I forget how n- normal that was. Everybody was doing that at the factory. Like that was, that wasn't weird. And now yeah. I look back and I'm like, that's so weird. Like how, how did I do that? How is so, that the norm? Yeah. And so, so I think part of being part of you as a trainer and as someone to advise somebody, and I think also part of like gym culture or fitness culture is having a tribe that's saying that's not normal. Does that make sense? Like yeah. that's not normal. That's not good. Like somebody that, has to say. Yeah, it. someone has to say it. it and sucks like, that I'm the bad guy. Yeah, but like exactly. was like, dude, I, I thought of you last night, and then I ate the hamburger or the, the cake anyway. I'm like, well, at least you thought of me. Right? That means a lot. At least like, you saw my face right before you made that decision. Now we're gonna work on you seeing my face and making a different decision. Yeah, but you're 100 percent right. Like if we don't have that culture in you know in high school in college, like it's not going to be the norm. It's, it's still going to be sodas and Mountain Dews and energy drinks and, and cigarettes. Like, yeah, if that's the culture, that's the, the popular culture, that's what is going to happen. So I, I think there is a shift. I mean, I don't know if it's just because the people I associate with or if society is actually shifting, but like, I feel like people want and understand what is healthy a lot better now. I think science is, is, is starting to show, well, I would say science and experience, the fact that we've had long enough with really sugary drinks and we have enough data to kind of show, Oh wow, this isn't good. And, 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 and we've just, we've seen people over a long period of time, like, and, and now we're starting, I think to ask some ethical questions about that. And then I think just diet in general and how much, even things that are marketed to us as healthy aren't healthy. Right. Like, does that make sense? Like yeah. a lot of like things are marketed to us as this is the healthy option. And then like, I look at it now from like a learning macros and learning some of the other things yeah. I've learned. Like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's a cookie. Is- like it, it's a healthy cookie though. No, it's a cookie. Like, yeah. Oh no, it's a complete cookie. Look at all the stuff it doesn't have. This was an honest conversation I've yeah. had. I look at all the thing. It doesn't have dairy. It does not GMO and it's not soy. And I was like, how much sugar is in it? Well, I don't know. 32 grams. 30 grams of yeah. sugar. It's two servings. Like, it's out of control. So, like, if you don't ever look, you don't ever know. Well, and that's like like those protein cookies. That's, what I'm talking that, that's about. exactly what you're talking about, right? Because, like, I saw them at GNC. And I'm not going to lie. When I first started CrossFit, I was all about those things. Because yeah. I was like, protein bars protein, taste like crap. Bro. Well, protein <laughs> bars taste like crap. I've been taught if I'm working out hard, I need to have protein. Like, I've yeah. just been taught this. I'm a vegetarian. So, getting protein's a little harder. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, for me... I'm like, okay, I'm going to have, you know, these protein cookies. So every once in a while, uh, probably three, four times a week, I'd have a protein cookie. But I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the label. For me, it was like, whatever, it's a protein cookie. It's got, I was like, oh, it's got 20 grams of protein. Sweet. Um, And so as I started like diving into macros, I'm like, holy crap, this thing has so much sugar in it. Yeah. And you start realizing, poof, the amount of carbs I'm having here and they're not good carbs. Right. They're not like sweet potatoes. Yeah. They're not, you know what I mean? They're not like the, like healthy, natural carbs, you know? And, um, and yes, they're healthier than regular cookies. Oh, like, sure. Sure. Well, you're also getting protein where you're not getting protein yeah, in the other I cookies mean, and it doesn't have a bunch of crap in it. So if you're going to have a cookie, maybe that's cookie. the better cookie to have if you're going to have a cookie, <laughs> but maybe you don't need to have a cookie every day after your workout. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
so that's the conversation that I try to have with people because it is hard. Like, what did you do when you were quitting soda? Like, what was that process like for you? Well, uh, kind of I replaced that with coffee. I finally, and and luckily when I came over to coffee, uh, I initially came over to coffee with like dairy and, you know, or with like cream and and, uh, sugar. But then after a while, I was able to start drinking it black. And so now I drink coffee black and that's kind of my... I definitely drink too much coffee, probably. Like, I, 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 I would love to have... I, I just haven't had the discipline to do this yet. I think it'll be a goal probably in the next year or two. I say year or two just because I keep pushing it off. So maybe this is me just saying it to, yeah. to, to put it out there as something I might actually do. Um, <laughs> this is you holding me accountable. No, um, but I mean, like, I would love to go off caffeine completely for a month yeah. and just see how my body responds yeah. and then almost use caffeine... Um, as a stimulant before workouts. Cause I know yeah. a lot of people that, that, that do it that way. And that it, for me, I could drink a Red Bull and go to sleep. Yeah. So like, I know for a fact that I'm the, what I've done with caffeine, I would have to reprogram that because it's yeah. not, it's, it's not healthy. It doesn't but, work. Yeah. yeah. So I drink too much, but ultimately I think black coffee got me to continue to have the caffeine intake without having the sugar yeah. and everything else attached sure. to it. So it's been really healthy in that sense. And, um, and I would say it was a journey too. Cause I went before I went to coffee, I went to diet Mountain Dew. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then realizing how much diet soda, it really isn't the amount of chemicals <laughs> and things that are in that and yeah. like, and, and how but much that was your process. Yeah. That was my process. Yeah. But I think that's the great thing is like trying to encourage people toward a process of like, you know, the, the way I often say it on a lot of things, like whether that's your relationship with God, your relationship with someone else, social issues, we're not the type of beings that change in leaps and bounds typically. It takes, it takes a really adverse experience for us to change quickly. Like it, it takes a lot of pressure would be the way of saying it, to yeah. change quickly. There has to be other factors. And so what I say is like, where's my dial at? Like one to a hundred, maybe think of it that way. Like a hundred is the ideal of where I'm trying to get to, but I got to be real with myself right now. I'm only at a 20. So like, what does 21 look like? Yeah. Does that make sense? Cause a lot of people are like, I just want to get to a hundred. I want to have six pack abs. Well, yeah, yeah. maybe you want that, but like, you got to think about what 21 looks like because it's going to be 21, then it's going to be 22. And that might take you three months to get to 22. Like you see what I'm saying? So and for you, me, like it, I think about it, like how can I inspire other people to want to make that change, like without going to prison Just or without getting arrested shift. or without yeah. like, how do you inspire people to, to drive themselves yeah. without causing them hardship, without them having a mental breakdown, without them contemplating yeah. life altering decisions? Mm. Like, how do you bring that to their attention? Like, that's my kind of mission. It's hard, man. Right? Yep. Like you have to inspire them to want to change and, and show them that there is a way to change. But I think it goes along with kind of what we were talking about, about making those small changes, making yourself accountable mm-hmm. to be able to change. So sure. still working through some of the logistics of it, but you, ha- I have to be able to inspire people to want to change themselves. Like I can't tell them how to do it. I can't tell them why to do it. Sure. I can't give them a why. Mm-hmm. But once they figure out that they can then they're not going to need me anymore. So my yeah. ultimate goal is to have people self-sustaining, driving themselves to be an amazing person. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. And I think, I think change is so, what you said is really good because a lot of people change for the wrong reasons 
and they might have short-term success for it, right? Like, oh, I want to change because I want to, you know, or I want to do it this way because the, my why is going to be the why that someone told me. Does that make yeah. sense? But like when you discover the why for yourself and when you journey through that, that tends to be something that can stick. And like in your experience, you know that like, cause you, you, when you were talking about like being a year in, when you were like, I think I know what my why for myself is. I like, I feel I like that's what I think it. I finally found it. I, mm-hmm. I, and, and like, no one could have handed this to me. I had to go through this. Like I had to journey this, like to get here. Like I couldn't have, no one could have just came and just dropped that in my lap. I had to, I had to go through some, some introspection to get to that place. Right. Yeah. And, and now I know my why. And I think sometimes when you've been through that, you know how to hold someone's hand and say, I can't tell you your why, but I can get you close to it yeah. and maybe you can figure it out. Like, you know, and that's a cool journey that you get to walk with people. Yeah. Cause I do that from a spiritual side right. and you're doing it from a fit, more of a fitness side and like self-discovery I think is really important and we just don't put enough priority on it as a culture. I feel like I wish we would put more priority on it. Yeah. I, I've, I've had success helping people with figuring out a process that works for them. So my process isn't going to work for everyone. Like the self-reflection at night or mm-hmm. this idea that I can hold myself accountable for little actions and then become more accountable for big actions. But that sort of process where I think I can change has helped people. Like, so I'll ask them like, what, what could you do to, to help yourself mm-hmm. be more accountable and just actually walk them through the process that I walked myself through is where I kind of see that, that working for people. So developing a routine of, of whatever it is, like I wasn't a journaler, but some people find mm-hmm. comfort in, in journaling and that, that, that habit helps them to be more accountable yeah. so that they can start to have those small wins. Like I don't want to go to the gym today, mm. but I will anyway to hold myself accountable. I don't want to eat salad and chicken today, but I will to hold myself accountable. Yeah. And then once we start building that accountability with ourselves, then we can start to do amazing things because we know it's going to be challenging. We know it's going to be the hardest thing we've ever done to be in an uncomfortable situation we've never been before. But mm. we can start to process that and and be fearless and be unafraid that we might fail but we might achieve something great. And that that's the battle that I've been fighting recently is trying to, you know, take it to the next level and, and not be complacent with, oh, yeah, I, I'm helping people and, and, you know, I'm doing okay and, and, and help thousands of people. Yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate goal is to change the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, starting with this community, starting with the people that I impact daily, but ultimately to change the world. Like how big can this thing be? How, you know, how many people can I impact? That's the question. That's awesome. So like small steps, turning people's mind from negativity to positivity is a huge one. Mm -hmm. So like just being encouraging and, and pulling out the small victories because kind of what we were talking about earlier how are you happy with where you're at, but strive for more people struggle with that on a small level. I mean, that's a daily battle. Like, yeah. Uh, but, but I'm still overweight. Yeah. But you, you've been eating salad every day. You're starting to develop a habit. 
yeah, but I'm not getting stronger. I'm like, but your squat is so much better. Like you, yeah. you know how to squat, you know how to run now. Like that type of stuff we'd miss in the process. We miss all of that development. If you're alone and you don't have someone who's further on the journey than you, yeah, they're not going to be able to encourage you in the things you're not going to see right away. Yeah. If you're only looking for six pack abs, does that make sense? (laughs) You're not going to be like, I've lost five pounds and be like, that's good. Like I'm moving in the right direction. You might be like, I don't have a six pack yet. I'm done. Like, you know, (laughs) I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously simplifying that, but I do think things like squat form. Hey, look, I know you're, we're not putting a ton of weight on the bar yet, but you're doing awesome. This is great form. If you didn't have someone there to tell you that, and I've been in, I've been in CrossFit long enough now over two years that I've seen people come in a certain way and um, experience the push of CrossFit and the fear that that is, because it is, it is fear. When you come yeah. in, you're afraid. Like, this is yeah. hard. This is going to be hard work. Like, no one who's never done CrossFit listening to this, who's thinking about going to their first CrossFit class, doesn't have a little bit of anxiety. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. you're going to have that. But, like, the, just the coaching at Gamma, I think, is superb. Like, and what I mean by that is, like, not only is the technique really good, all that, like we, we teach it well, but then the coaches are encouraging too. like, they're coming alongside, like, Hey, you're doing it great. Here's another cue, like giving you the next dial, the next number on the dial, you know, make sure you push your needs out or whatever, or do you know, whatever the cue is, but then also celebrating what they're doing right and letting them feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm progressing. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm making, yeah. And that, that is really important for somebody to stick with it because the first month in CrossFit for me was like, I don't know if I'm going to stick with this because this is hard, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. man. This is, this is hard stuff. And I mean, I came into CrossFit at 280 pounds. You came in a com- like, complete opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. Like, which is real cool. Like that, that journey is, it's even harder. Like mine was easy. Like my, I had already fought all of that, like self, you know, out and like I knew that I was strong and I knew at that point I was three years in and I could yeah, yeah I could run 10 miles and I could squat mm. x and I could deadlift y and you had no idea no no idea you're like I don't know what I can do but I'm gonna do it I mean I know I could like I, I know I could probably bench a little bit because I've been <laughs> yeah. to Globo gym you know I, I know I could do some of those things but I when it came to like let's do burpees and let's do pull-ups and let's do, I'm like dude I'm never gonna be able to do a pull-up like that 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 yeah. feeling of like oh man, I'm watching this guy do butterfly pull-ups and do 20, peel off 20 at a time. I, I can't even get my chin over the bar once. Yeah. Like, so I'm over here doing ring rows and these are hard. Like, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like you sit there and like in that moment, you're just like, oh, I just, I'm never going to get there. And if, and that's where comparison can be really unhelpful. Yeah. Cause like you can sometimes compare yourself to something else and and miss all of the good things you're doing. And yeah. like for me, it's like I had to keep reminding myself, I woke up this morning. Right. I showed up. Like that every time I'd leave, I'd be like, I showed up this morning. Like that, that was would your be goal. Yeah. that was I showed up, I, I, I broke a sweat and I'm leaving and I'm just hoping this is gonna get better down the road. Like I just kept yeah. and I mean I had a relationship with Ryan before I came in, who was a coach, and so like he was super encouraging because I think he knew right away this is going to be a long road, Justin. So like he, I think he was preparing me in some ways for yeah. that and also encouraging me along the way. But like, but like, it's hard to be around that, and it does help you not to compare yourself in unhealthy ways because I think there's healthy ways of comparing yourself yeah. of like no, something like a competition. That's a way yeah. of contesting yourself to the others. But like, there's unhealthy ways of comparing yourself where you can totally miss. You compare yourself out. Yeah, yeah. To the point, it's like I'm not, I'm not, I don't have that. 
I'm different. I'm this isn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about CrossFit is like it can be for everyone. It's just you have to be careful. Like you have to ask the questions, you have to have the humility. I'm not going to do pull-ups for eight months. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, mm-hmm. that's 100% fine. Yeah. Like, my mom just came back again, and she's trying yeah, to fight out. the same, like, yeah. but I want to do snatches. And I'm like, Mom, like, you don't need to do snatches. She's like, I know, <laughs> but I want to. I'm like, that's that's awesome. Like, But you have to, like, kind of, like, fight that battle until yeah. you're ready. Like, and there were things that you didn't do for months and oh, months. Man. and like, There's things I didn't do for the first year. I mean, yeah. I just got my muscle up not long ago. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and I didn't even work on a muscle up for, for, yeah. for I, I mean, I just, because I just kept saying, I just need to build my strict strength. I just yeah. need to, like, and just trying to say, it'll come when it comes. Like, even right now, last open, I was trying to get a ring muscle up. Last yeah. open. And then I like jacked my shoulder up and I was just like, because I was drilling it so much trying to get it for the one workout yeah. that they had that had the ring muscle ups. And I was just like, you know what? I just need to keep getting stronger yeah. and keep getting fitter and and keep dropping weight because yeah. this, this, and I, I might be able to jump on the rings right now and do a ring muscle up. I just haven't tried. Because I'm like, capability. Cause I'm like, cause I'm like I don't want to try right now. I just want to keep getting stronger because it's not important to me. Like it's, it's yeah. important to get it. I want to get it. Like, does that make sense? But like, I also am kind of like that getting that isn't like at the time I I put a lot on that and I'm like, okay, I don't need to put that much on that. Like I'm getting fitter in all these other areas, which is bringing, it's going to make that easier, which is kind of how I handled my bar muscle up. Does that make sense? So it's like, if I could just handle the ring muscle up the same way I handled the bar muscle up, just keep doing some of these drills every week. There's, get a yeah, little there's stronger. There's a lot of other areas that are going to give you a lot more benefit too. Exactly. Like there's a, a severe like risk there, but yeah. your benefit from other areas are going to be so huge. And that's goes back to like the nutrition and the sleep. Like you got to start with a strong base. I go through the same thing like in business though, like comparing myself against other people. Like, yeah, I know that mm. I can train and I know that I have a good knowledge base, but as far as like, running the business and growing the business and writing the book, like I'm completely out of my element there. I'm just doing it. Like I'm just like asking questions, like trying to learn, trying to push myself a little bit more every day. But it's, I've been stressing about taxes for like two months and they're not even due for another two months. Like, but I just am that far out of my element that I have to stress about it because it's it's serious. Yeah, like, and that's I gotta new. Figure it out. It's new. Yeah. It's, like, what am I gonna do? Being Who, a business owner and doing taxes—that's do a whole different. Like, <laughs> 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 you're becoming a libertarian <laughs> real quick. You're like, you're like. <laughs> so it's the same like stress. Like you got to seek out a mentor. You got to seek yeah. out someone that knows how to do it. You got to ask. Quite. You got to ask friends. So I like ask my clients. Like, do you know a good? tax account CPA, and yeah, like yeah. they're like yeah i think and then you like you get a referral and then mm-hmm. you go and just pursue that path and learn a little bit and maybe next year i can do my own like yeah when i figure out how like the business flows through to the individual and then i can just do all those taxes too but it, it's the same scary experience like i want to run and hide like yeah. i don't want to do that like showing my unfinished book to someone is like scary because it i write like crap yeah like but I have ideas that I need to get down so that mm-hmm. I can progress. So, like, figuring that out, like, I have no idea how to write a book. Like, I yeah. just am doing it. Like, I'm just figuring it out. I'm going to ask some people, mm-hmm. seek out some mentors, and then learn a little bit. And it's going to be a process. Yeah. Yeah, dude, because I think what what I look back at, you know, two-plus years ago coming to CrossFit for the first time and that, like, fear and that anxiety, 
I think ever since seeing what CrossFit has done for me in that, and not, not that CrossFit is the only place I've ever had fear and anxiety and then grown from it, but I have seen so much growth from it and I've also gained a community from it. And so there's been like lifelong, like connection there. Right. But like when I think about some of the other things that maybe I'm apprehensive to go into anymore, like when it, when I'm like, Oh, this is going to be, I'm going to be really out of my element or, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a unique pastor. I have tattoos and earrings. And so sometimes I might find myself in a more like suit and tie type culture. Like I can be like, oh, I don't know the phone. I'm going to feel really awkward. Like yeah. now I enter into this place is a little more like I'm ready to learn something. I'm ready to grow. Like it's going to stretch me. This is going to hurt. I'm going to have to like swallow my pride a little bit and ask for help. I'm going to have to like, you know, I'm going to have to go in as a beginner. Like I think we, we really struggle at times, especially once you kind of get into adulthood and get somewhat established as admitting that I'm beginner status right now. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And like, I need someone to teach me. And, and I actually think what happens is the more we enter into things with that, like I'm a beginner and this is going to be painful and it's going to be hard. And I'm going to have to work like at it. The more we, we get that growth mindset, like just drilled into us as habit yeah. as the habit of like, I don't know it all. I got to grow. I'm, I'm growing in every area of my life and it's okay to be here it's okay to be a yeah. beginner like you know what i mean and even though you know that it's still scary oh it's, it's still, still scary. uncomfortable yeah like, it's still hard you can rationalize it all you want like okay i don't know anything i don't know how to do it i'm gonna learn eventually but i have to go ask like mm-hmm. how is it still scary like why do we still have that like yeah. uncomfortable feeling of like i'm a loser like <laughs> teach me your like can you please like show me how to do this and not charge me a lot like <laughs> <laughs> i don't have anything to give you yeah. but please show me your ways yeah, yeah. no I, I hear it i hear i hear it man i think we need i think i think we need to do hard things i think hard things are good like i think i think being afraid at times is good though like like yeah. being in those scenarios i, I just think the growth that happens from that place as opposed to like a place of like comfortable growth, mm-hmm. like it's, it tends to be that we grow more when we enter in with a little bit of fear, or a little bit of anxiety. Yeah. Like, cause that know. means it is a challenge and it's worth overcoming. Yeah. yeah. That's good, man. Dude, it's been great talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for opening up and sharing your story. And I know a lot of it, you were very vulnerable. And so I'm super thankful for yeah, I'm kind of scatterbrained, but thanks that. for having me on no, here. And no, dude. Do you want to leave anybody with anything or any links or ways they can contact you or a final word, whatever you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook. I put up inspirational videos, you know, once a week, or I was trying to do it more often, but it tends to be once a week. Um, so you can find me on Facebook, Jared Myers. Um, I'm on Instagram at Wadding It and Workout Penguin. That's my work, just straight workouts on there. Um, and then our company is New Life Hershey. And uh, I mean, that's on the social too, but on the web at newlifehersheyllc.com. So any of those ways is a good way to get a hold of us. Cool. And I'll put all those links in the podcast notes yeah. if you need them. Or so. just come to Gamma and check it out and yeah. say hi. That's the best way. <laughs> come to CrossFit in. Gamma if you're I'm in Central PA. There. Yeah. yeah, you are usually there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, thank you. Boom. Another episode in the books. I hope that was encouraging and inspiring and challenging for you. Uh, It was great to have you with me today on Beyond Boundaries. 
Uh, If you want to learn more about me or find out more about Jared, you can go to the show notes uh, at pastorjustindouglas.com. You can interact there with feedback, comments, and questions, or you can reach out via Instagram. I'm at pastorjustindouglas. And again, please consider subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast, this episode, other episodes. It all makes a difference. So I'd be really thankful if you did that on your social media. Um, And as I always sign off, I'll continue to sign off. May you go and live a life that is beyond boundaries, giving others love, exploring new ideas, and championing belonging.